Unfortunately, my bell is broken. Here, I'll show you. Is that you. a euphemism? Uh, I wish. No. So, <laughs> so this is just hitting the top, oh, and you can yeah, see it's yeah, kind of yeah, rattly. Yeah. Mm. I can loosen it a little bit. See, it gets all rattly. Like I, I took it apart mm-hmm. earlier to try to figure it out, but the I think the the transport to and from the beach uh, is finally what killed it. After I mean, I've I got this bell in. Jeez, uh, I mean, when was the uh, file system ding in the keynote? Oh, I, I know f- forever ago. I mean, this show has been going for effectively forever. It's a miracle we haven't been kicked off the internet. It was in San Francisco, which is how we know. Hey, John, we're live. Um, Skype is not my friend. <laughs> so are you recording because we are <laughs> yeah. yeah i think I'm, i think i have everything sorted out i don't know oh that's not ominous at all oh great <laughs> do i sound okay yeah you sound i mean from here yeah uh, whatever okay so this is one of the most popular slash important question mark uh shows of the year because we're going to recap the apple event that happened yesterday as we record But this is also one of the most important shows of the year because even though ATP is not officially part of Relay FM, we are basically part of Relay FM. And because of that, we are jumping on the Relay FM bandwagon for St. Jude. So September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And our dear friend Stephen Hackett, who is one of the co-founders of Relay FM, uh, his eldest son has uh, has battled childhood cancer uh, for his entire young life. And thankfully for their entire family, they live in Memphis, Tennessee, which is where St. Jude is. And St. Jude is a children's research hospital that has helped push the overall childhood cancer survival rate from 20% to more than 80% in 50 years. And the thing is that they don't charge the families that see them a dime. And that often includes like flying the families to Memphis and not in a FedEx box, mind you. They actually put them in a regular plane and fly them to Memphis to get treatment in some cases. It is incredible the things that St. Jude does. And it does it by just depending on donations from people like the three of us and like you, our beloved listeners. So Relay has decided that last year, what did, what was the goal? Like 50 grand, I think, or something like that, that they tried to raise in September. It was something along those lines. And this year, Relay is pushing for $75,000 raised in the month of September. As we record this, they are $75 shy of $60,000. So I expect by the end of this recording, I I would like to see that $60,000 number hit, please, those of us who are listening live. That being said, they're trying to get $75,000. If you listen to this entire program and then drop $1,000 plus on a new iPhone, you can send $10 to St. Jude, maybe $50, maybe $100, maybe even another $1,000. So any amount will help. And this is near and dear to all three of our hearts. We really would appreciate it if you could scrape together any amount of money and please give it to St. Jude. So you can go to, and how fancy is this? You can go to stjude.org slash ATP. That's S-T-J-U-D-E dot org slash ATP. And then, and we will get lumped in with the relay money, uh, except we will, I guess, be somewhat special because it's somehow attributed to us as well. Who knows? It's not a competition because all that matters is we get these kids money. So, or the doctors, I should say. So anyways, stjude.org slash ATP. Please, if you're buying a thousand plus dollar iPhone, I bet you you can afford 10 bucks 
for uh, for childhood cancer. Or perhaps if you're buying a five to ten dollar Starbucks coffee, like Marco does every day, I bet you could just skip the coffee one day and go to stjude.org/atp. I'm going to go even further. I'm going to say, you know, and and I think first of all, man, I I was so mad when I heard John's pitch for this on rec diffs this past oh, i haven't week. heard it i haven't heard it was it. so good and i was so frustrated that i didn't think of it and that he did it before we got a chance to um but you know uh, I, as john loves i will summarize him poorly uh, <laughs> 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 the, the gist of it was was you know basically like you know th- there's it's hard to even imagine for those of us who have not you know been been faced with having having one of our children have cancer like that's that's a horrible thing to put a family and a child through and the the amazing thing about St. Jude as as you touched on a minute ago Casey is that they treat children with cancer but they don't charge the families any money they pay for it with things like this and to have this horrible thing that you have to deal with as a family to also have a financial burden on top of that is horrendous. It's it's you know the reality of our American medical system, unfortunately, uh, that you have to you know be faced with massive financial ruin in order to get your kid you know life saving treatment. But that's the reality we live in. So to have something like St. Jude, where you know you're, you're fighting through this horrible time, and they just take away this giant concern that that you would otherwise have to deal with, that is such a big deal. It, it's so life-changing and and so just merciful and graceful for the people who have to go through this it, it is it is incredibly meaningful and so we are about to talk for two hours about how amazing it is that these thousand dollar plus products by the way multiple thousand dollar plus products <laughs> now that we're in uh are you know 20 percent better than they were last year and how we're all going to upgrade to them even though we don't need them our phones work fine and we're going to upgrade anyway and i have a feeling uh you know based on our listenership a large portion of you out there are in a similar situation where a large portion of you out there are going to replace a phone or a watch that doesn't really need to be replaced. It still works, but the new shiny just came out and you're going to go buy it. And that's great. I'm one of you. I'm going to go buy it too. But I'm going to say, don't give them $10. If you're one of these people who can afford to replace a perfectly working phone because the new one is shiny and better, give them, <laughs> I, I, I honestly think... Give them a minimum of $100. You can do it. If you're listening to this show, you are disproportionately likely to be one of these people. And look, if you can't afford it, I understand. That's fine. I understand completely. But many of our listeners can. I know that. And so if you can afford a new phone or a new watch next week or whenever these things ship or whenever you get your hands on them, you can probably afford $100 to St. Jude. So I'm going to say throw in at least $100. That's my command to our audience. (laughs) Your command. Yep. Very commandeering. I, I thought Casey's pitch was much better than any of mine. I took two attempts Aww. to do it on, on Rectus. I tried to do it one week, and then the second week I came back and tried to do it again. But I think you two have, have covered it well. Uh, we'd like to see this number go up. Please give generously. Indeed. All right. With that out of the way, I have a little bit of follow-up with regard to SiriusXM, which Man, I know no, everyone— There's no follow-up on Apple event shows. What are you doing? No, come on. It's brief. It'll be quick. No, Casey. John just said no follow-up. Don't touch it. We never do it on event shows. That's true. All right. I'll walk you away. I'll walk you away. All right. We'll save for next week. I don't know why. What even made you think you were doing it? You just leave it for next week. (laughs) What were you thinking, Casey? Jeez. It's so little. We've only been doing the show for seven years. We don't do follow-up on events. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right. Fine. I was was, was going to make people wait. What was it about? Let me look. Uh, It was funny. It was funny. That's why I wanted to do it. 
Too bad. Uh, Can't do it. Seven years. All right, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait, <laughs> listeners. Let it be known. This was going to be a funny, funny anecdote. You're going to have to wait a week. Okay, so there was an Apple event, guys. And uh, I, I think I liked it, but I don't think I'm supposed to if you read the New York Times. Uh, I thought... <laughs> that article I was thought terrible. It was, I thought it was a pretty good event. Like, yeah, the game demos stank. And, I, and I'd like to, you know, obviously just get a, a, an overview real quick. The game demos, whatever. Not really for me. Uh, I thought that the retail update being at the end was a little weird, but ultimately probably for the best, especially since it was quick. Uh, the hardware seems real good. Again, we'll dive in into more detail in just a moment. I have already spent hundreds of dollars on new Apple watches for Aaron and myself because we're both rocking Series 3 watches. We both like our watches, but we are both ready for new watches. So uh, we are already like almost $1,000 in the hole on watches. Uh, and we haven't even bought phones yet. So this is going to be a very expensive fall for the Liss family. Uh, we are also on iPhone 10s. We did not get any new hardware last year uh, because we were good little boys and girls who had just quit their jobs. So anyway, point is, I thought the event was pretty good. I liked that it wasn't two plus hours. It also makes me think that maybe some things were missed, but you know, that's okay. I, I thought it was mostly paced reasonably well. And I thought it was pretty good, all told. Marco, let's start with you. Just overall, you know, macro level impressions. I mean, I think you know, there's there's things that that I'm going to nitpick, like the game demos. You know, we'll we'll get to that in a few minutes. But uh, but ultimately, I think the the complainants in the press are being unreasonable for the most part, or or and or they are acting like aspects of this are new when they're not new. Apple did two major product revisions here, you know, the iPhone and the watch, and the, the iPad was minor, but, you know, they, they did two major product revisions here. Uh, the iPhone was about the same magnitude of update that it usually is. Not earth-shattering, but good. You know, there are some some nice improvements, nice, you know, iterative improvements and, and you know, things that, that we're all going to want. Um, so that's good. And the watch while it didn't have a ton of improvements, had one really big one. So that's really good. And, and that really big one was something that we didn't think we would get for a long time, if ever. I would say overall, like product-wise, it was actually a pretty straight-down-the-middle, decent keynote. I don't know what everyone's complaining about product-wise, except that everyone's saying, oh, they should have done more or should have been more, these products are boring or whatever. But you know what? If you look at, you know, these, these are mature product categories for the most part now. You don't get a ton of, like, earth-shattering change anymore. You get occasional earth-shattering stuff, which people, by the way, promptly forget about and then expect it again the next time <laughs> and every time after that. But, you know, this, this was, I think, a solid down-the-middle event. It was not great. It was not bad. It was right down the middle. It was fine. The problem, though, is that people expect, like, santa claus every every event and every year and that's just you know it's not every year is not going to be the original iphone keynote every year is not going to be the original like or like some big innovative thing uh, although the, there might be this weird ar thing later but we'll see we'll see where that goes but on the other hand i think where the complaints are valid the events really are pretty low on personality and humanity you could, you know, they, you can see how incredibly scripted and rehearsed and rigid they are. They really feel more and more just like commercials by boring people uh, <laughs> as the years go on. And that is a, I think that is a totally valid criticism of these events. They really do just feel like commercials, 
and they're slow and they and the formula is kind of stale uh, and they're and they are super painful at times when you know when certain people maybe aren't the best presenters and it's super awkward or you're sitting through some boring demo like that that those are all valid complaints that really make them feel like dull corporate event meetings and with one exception which i get to in a moment this has really been happening for such a long time now that i don't know why you would start complaining about it now the events have been heading in this direction for years they they've been for years going towards boring long formulaic commercials by boring people on the stage anybody who's criticizing that now like you haven't been paying attention however there is this one aspect it kind of makes me uneasy i don't know when this started I don't know if it's a difference in seating or if it's a difference in how the audience is mic'd and mixed with the audio, but in recent events, Apple has been basically uh, packing the seats with retail employees. It's, I don't know what, how exactly it works, but not, all, not everyone in these events is press. There's a large number of retail employees that get to sit in the audience. Apple retail employees are trained and selected for how much they cheer for everybody and make everyone feel good when you're coming into the store and all that stuff. And, and, and people, the, the WBDC staff was also very much significantly augmented by retail employees who themselves were, again, like, selected for, like, how much they would cheer for everyone. And that's why, like, <laughs> they, like, they would cheer for you walking down the stairs and cheer for you going into sessions. And, every, and at the events, you have what seems like similar selection of retail employees where they are just incredibly happy and applauding hugely, like outrageously strongly at everything and everyone on stage. And because they're retail employees, it's like, well, it it doesn't feel genuine. It feels like they're plants in the audience. And I know some of them really are genuinely excited, I'm sure, but just because they are retail employees and because they are cheering so loudly and because they're cheering so loudly for their bosses who were on stage... It feels disingenuous. And that part of, of the way these audiences and, and the way the sound is mixed and wherever they're sitting, whatever it is, whatever is making this so prevalent, it, it's kind of creepy to me. It, it makes it seem like I'm at almost like a cult event. I know, I know that's, that's like a, a touchy word for Apple fans because people who aren't Apple fans accuse us of being in a cult just by liking Apple stuff. But it really does feel kind of like a cult event when you have a large number of people just screaming and yelling with massive applause for things that, that maybe don't fully deserve that level of enthusiasm (laughs) and it just feels kind of fake and forced and corporate and weird so i i would i would hope that they can somehow adjust that balance turn that down a little bit bring that in a little bit because if that is strange to me It, it it kind of sours the attitude of the event because it seems fake and and i and there's enough enthusiasm that's genuine for Apple products, even among the press who are there, there's enough enthusiasm. They don't need to stack the audience. They don't need to have people who are going to be artificially seeming outrageously applauding over everything, you know, just because, you know, it's their boss on stage. They don't need that so much. They need to turn that down because let the product speak for themselves. Let the people speak for themselves. It's a bit much. John? I thought it was... uh kind of above average uh, you know as far as these things go I agree that I don't see any particular change from this one from the next one there's such a thing as fatigue and there's news cycles and there's these things come and go and there's backlash and there's backlash to the backlash and there's all those sorts of things but 
uh, based on the substance of the presentation, both the substance and the presentation style, there was nothing new in this. They say things like this all the time. They have product announcements like this all the time. There was nothing particularly awful about this presentation. Maybe not nothing particularly sterling either, but it was, it was fine. And, you know, as Marco pointed out, I think the actual things that were announced, uh, we had like one very surprising good thing and everything else was, you know, okay and what we expected. So I personally don't have uh, any real issue with it. As for the applauding and stuff, that's also not new. I don't mind it because I think if you if you don't, intentionally have not having plants if you don't have apple employees in the audience who you know are going to cheer it's not like they're being commanded to cheer you know they're going to cheer because they're cheering for themselves and their colleagues and yes sometimes their bosses but uh if you don't have them there and if it's a press event and an event that doesn't have the public there will be substantially less applause not because the press never applauds because some of them do but because they're all typing, like <laughs> they're all doing things, you know, so it's, they're preoccupied, right? And if you have a presentation where they announce something that is really good, but everyone in the audience is too busy to applaud, it sounds bad. Like they're putting on a show, okay? And part of the show is the applause track and the applause sign. Like there's a real reason this is a thing in show business. It's just something that needs to be there so that people watching at home alone feel like Apple is not bombing on stage. So I understand the need to do it. I do agree, though, that maybe it has been amped up to a degree where uh, they're applauding very loudly for things that don't really warrant even any applause. So they need to find a middle ground there. But uh, but again, that's not new either. Go look at the last presentation and the presentation before that. They're, like For the past several years, there has been substantial unwarranted applause at many phases of the presentation and like honestly it doesn't bother me that much like i I think it's fine i'm used to them i can understand why it would be off-putting to somebody else but um all that said uh, speaking of reconcilable differences the show i just recorded about that uh merlin had maybe casey will know this expression merlin had a feeling merlin merlin felt a certain way merlin felt a way what is that expression casey i have no idea you you were my last hope because you know all the weird kid expressions anyway (laughs) i try to try to get on the show and merlin doesn't know either merlin had some strong feelings uh in reaction to the uh presentation and we talked about them at length he was very it it was very emotional about them but i feel like that's that's the that's the frame the proper frame for all this stuff it's like look if you watch this presentation and feel bad about it in some way. Uh, most of that is probably uh, based on you and not the presentation. Like, it's not, like the presentations haven't changed. Maybe something in you has changed. Maybe your tastes have changed. Maybe you have fatigue. Maybe you, you know, maybe you think differently about it. Maybe the place you're in that day or the place you're in your life makes you like, well, that's all perfectly valid. Right. I just feel like the, the, uh, the, the takes that are written in the opposite direction that somehow Apple is either A, doing something terribly wrong, or B, doing something worse or different than they did before. I don't see that. I don't think what they're doing is terribly wrong. I mean, maybe they're not putting on a great show, but it's an okay show. And I don't think it's particularly different. So overall, I thought the event was fine. I understand people having strong reactions to it, positive or negative. And that's their reaction to have. My reaction was fairly neutral, though. So you had all the feels? Is that what you're looking for? No, I didn't. I was like, you know, so no, I'm a, saying the phrase, the phrasing. The Joe no, Steele I know that Jelly. one. It wasn't feels. We couldn't. We we tried. You'll hear it on this if you listen. There's we we tried to figure it out and we couldn't figure it out. 
No, Joe Steele and Jelly were trying to pinch in and help, and I, I, I got. I'm sure once I eventually hear it, I'm going to think myself an idiot for not thinking of it. But that's okay. Uh, Marco, tell me about game demos. No, that's not Marco's item. Come on. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> I want to hear. I want to hear the negative Ned version because I'm going to agree with probably every word of it, and then I'm hoping that you can give us John the more optimistic. No, I, I wrote the negative thing that is at the top of. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John. For the record. Listeners, what it reads in the show notes is, quote, why Apple's game demos are bad, quote. I should, I should have signed it, I guess. I thought it was obvious <laughs> when I wrote that. <laughs> Bye, John. <laughs> <laughs> With love, John C. Uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, I guess I'll take this then. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free, Mark. Um, I mean, I the game demos, I mean, look. Again, we've all compl- we, we were all complaining about it. I don't know why they led with the game demo. I mean, I guess I know why because they wanted to push, you know, Apple Arcade. Uh, but I have never seen a game demo that I th- that was remotely engaging, that I thought looked fun at all, and that made me want to go buy the game. Not once. The problem is, you are you have you know people on stage who are not used to it so they're nervous and they're they're demoing something which is incredibly risky and it does sometimes go wrong because that's just the nature of these things right so they're super nervous you know things could break at any moment you know and they are you could tell the whole thing is super super rehearsed and canned every single line the people say is scripted they try to make it sound like it's not but it is Mm -hmm. and so it just comes off sounding really fake and forced it just falls flat for me and then the problem is you can't demo a game in this way in any kind of you know large corporate media event and make it look fun you just can't what what the games that people actually play on their phones are the ones that either you know (laughs) trick them into being fun or the ones that are actually fun and i don't see a lot of people ever playing the games that get demoed on stage with like these big rich graphics that you got to sit there and play for hours like that's not what i find fun on a phone and i don't think that's what most people find fun on a phone what most people play on their phone are different kinds of games they're they're more casual they're more you know in and out in in a minute you know or less they're they're more things that that don't have cutting edge graphics you know it's a lot of games that that like you know are just basic like 2d you know basic you know movement animations that can be easily cross-platform and stuff like that like it's not these big 3d cutting edge games but also like anybody can make games with good graphics these days there's there's a billion games out there the app store and Apple and the world at large outside of Apple, there is no shortage of games. What there is always demand for and, and you know, seemingly a shortage of is great games. And these games usually aren't great games. They're just like mediocre, like, here, look at this graphic. Here's a dragon. Woo. And it's like, is it, but yeah, is it fun? <laughs> and there's no way to really demo, is it fun on stage? And so you end up seeing, ooh, graphics, who cares, really? You know, it's not, we're not here for the graphics of the games. That No one is playing phone games for their graphics. Even the really good ones, I know they're up there trying to show off metal and the GPUs and everything, but you know what, even the really good games, no one cares because no one plays phone or iPad games because they have amazing graphics. People play these games because they're fun and they're on the, the thing that's always with them. So the demos are, are trying to sell us on things we don't care about in a way that seems super disingenuous and is very boring 
and it's never what we want the presentation to grind to a halt to see. And on top of that, the thing that's really important about a game, which is like whether it's fun or not, is almost never apparent. And and I would I would say largely that all applies for me. That all applies to everything we've seen so far about Apple Arcade. You know, Apple Arcade, I, I know this is moving on slightly, but, you know, a- Apple Arcade to me has the exact same problem so far, which is, great, I can pay five bucks a month for a hundred games. That sounds awesome, you know, but I don't want a hundred games. I want three great ones. And I don't know if out of those hundred games, if I'm going to find three great ones or what they are or how I would even find them. So until it launches and until people start talking about a couple of games that are super good in it, I'm, I have a hard time getting excited about it because like, you know what? I have a Nintendo Switch. There's hundreds of games on that too. I, I have, I already have a phone. There's millions of games probably. Like, you know, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of games at least on the App Store uh, already. Many of them are free or very low cost. I could buy lots of them for $5 a month total. I already have lots of them on the phone. I never play because most of them aren't fun. The App Store is full of simple, not very fun, non-noteworthy games. And there's a few gems there's a few real standouts i don't care about apple arcade unless and until it has those few standouts for me because i don't want 100 mediocre games that make good two second demos i want like those three great games that i that i wouldn't that wouldn't be otherwise available to me i want i want those and so until we get those it's really hard to get excited about it john Tell me why Apple's game demos are bad. Thank you, Casey. I think I will. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I differ a little bit on Marco, but not in the fact that Apple's game demos are bad. And this is, this is again, not a new thing. Apple's been doing game demos forever. They have been bad the whole time. They continue to be bad. <laughs> uh, and people getting, maybe this is, again, fatigue or just coming to a head because we've seen so many bad demos that in this particular one, people are getting all up in arms. But you could have had this exact same conversation for name the bad game demo. I'm going to set aside the Anki drive thing because that was a physical real world thing. So at least you got to see people on stage with physical objects sort of. Anyway, um, it's this is like so many other things related to Apple and games where they seem not to be aware uh, that other people have figured this out. So games and showing on a big stage in front of an audience, including lots of press uh, to try to show people games in an enticing way is something that happens all the time successfully, not by Apple. But the rest of the gaming industry does this all the time, and it's not a big mystery. E3 happens every year, you know, or PAX or any of the other gaming expos, uh, TGS, right? And Like, there are tons of places where this happens. If Apple would just go to one of them and say, how did they do it? Their whole conference (laughs) is about games, and the audience seems excited when they show games. How do they do that? Because it never happens for us. We show games, and the audience is like, "Eh," and then the Apple retail is cheering or whatever, but like... What what happens? What's the, and, and I don't understand what where, why they can't figure that out. But there there are a few few fairly simple uh, rules, and there are things uh, that are not in their favor. First of all, show your games to an audience that cares about games. Now I know it's hard when when they're it's press because in theory the press cares about whatever you have to say, and if you're going to be talking about games, they care about games or whatever. But all those things I just described are gaming conferences. You can be pretty sure that the people in the audience there are, are interested in games, whether they be press or the general public or whatever. So you have to do that. Second is. When you show someone a game, when you're having a demo of a game, it's very much like demos for movies or, you know, or television shows, which we'll get to a little bit. You have to 
you have to show them something that's going to entice them. When it comes to games, there's a couple of broad categories that you can do. One, and these are the obvious ones, uh, if it's a if it's IP that uh, they already like. If it's a franchise, if it's a sequel, um, if everybody loved the first game in the series, you're showing them the second game in the series, uh, they're primed to like that. It's part of the reason why we're excited about the iPhone, because we like the previous iPhone, and we assume the next one's going to be good, so we're all ready to see what's the next iPhone. Uh, you know, uh, The second thing is, if you're going to have a... Uh, a product from a creator that people know. I know it's weird because Apple's the only creator in here, but like a game expo or like at a gaming conference, if there's a director or a publisher that you really like, the latest game from Kojima, from Miyamoto, right? Like people will be excited about that because it's the person making the game or the company, the next Bungie game or whatever, right? Again, Apple has no track record of being a great publisher of games or a great contributor to games anyway, except for that they run the store that has had some good games on it, but not that many, uh, proportionally, percentage-wise. The next thing you can do is wow the audience with something they've never seen before. Yes, that includes amazing graphics or things that were not technically possible before. What are the odds of Apple doing that on a phone platform? Pretty slim. I mean, Apple loves to say, look what this amazing thing you can have on a phone. Okay, maybe, sure, but you're like that's not how game demos work no one does a game demo and say isn't this the best looking game you've ever seen on the wii it's like yeah this is the best looking game on the wii but it's not impressive we're not impressed by this wii game because overall (laughs) you're not showing us something we haven't seen before every other console has better graphics than this or whatever um and in that same category is show a gameplay innovation that's never been seen before you've never seen a first person shooter and all of a sudden you know a first person shooter comes along and you're like wow i've never seen a game where it looks like you're actually like looking through your eyes and running down a hallway. I've never seen anything like that before. That could that will entice the audience to be interested in what you have to show. Some very interesting kind of gameplay or some kind of twist. And even those little games that Marco was talking about, like casual games, if you have a clever twist on those that actually works as a pitch, that's a place where Apple could show, here's, here's something you've never seen before. Think back on all the game demos that you've seen Apple do. Have they fall, fallen into any of these categories? An established IP, a franchise, a creator that you love, uh, incredibly impressive graphics and absolute values, not just for a phone, gameplay innovations. Like, they strike out on all of these. And they wonder why we show these games and no one is enticed by them. And by the way, they're showing it to an audience who is not necessarily primed to love games. They're just blanks across the board. They have no checks in any of those checkboxes. There's no way these game demos are going to be successful. You need, you need to wow people. You need to impress people. You need to entice people. You need to grab people. And they just don't do any of those things. And if you go to, like, go to E3, right? And when they used to have the, the big three conferences, it would everyone's excited to see what Nintendo's doing next because Nintendo is an established creator that everyone knows Nintendo makes good games. In particular, maybe they're looking for the next Zelda game because they loved all the other Zelda games. Or maybe there's a new Miyamoto game because they love Miyamoto and they show the game. Or they show a new kind of gameplay with Super Mario Galaxy where you're on a planet and we've never seen a platformer like that before. Or an open-world Zelda game which has never existed before. Or amazing new graphics on the ps7 or xbox 1280 or whatever <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> these are all tried and true ways that you get audiences excited for games that apple never does a single one of them and i don't know what they're expecting it's like they expect a participation medal we have a game and it's on our phone and it uses modern 3d graphics you can't tell if it's fun it's not an established franchise that you care about you're not a gaming audience it doesn't wow you with innovative gameplay or graphics but please applaud <laughs> you know i mean it's not <laughs> It's not the end of the world. Like, mostly we just roll our eyes at the game demos and just, you know, go look at something else or see what people are tweeting about. Because, again, it doesn't engage us. I'm a gamer. Like, I'm I'm ready to be shown something impressive. 
but they just almost never do it. I think the closest they came to getting me was when they had uh, Genova Chen talk about Sky, but that was such a bare presentation. The, the, let's think of this. What's one time, see if you guys can remember back this far, where there was a successful enticing game demo at an Apple uh, event? It might have been before your time. Uh, I can't think of a single Oh, what one. about, uh, did they demo the halo that wasn't halo at That's, any apple event? it was absolutely halo halo was the the most successful game demo that has ever been done at an apple press conference it has a sad story after that but at the time <laughs> like why and why did it work okay was it to an audience of people who love games not really but it was MacWorld, so at least the public was there and you know there's some people who are into games in the audience so it's not entirely you know unfamiliar uh, the audience was it a franchise or a creator that they knew not a franchise because it was a new franchise at the time but was it a creator they knew it was bungie and who is bungie the savior of mac gaming makers of marathon and myth and other games that mac users love because they were a game developer that actually paid attention to the mac and made great games and so this developer who the audience already loves if they know anything about games specifically mac fans love this developer comes on stage and shows a game that has graphics that were Okay, for the time, but innovative gameplay. Look at that Jeep. Did you see how the Jeep went over the hill? And it's also a first-person game, and you can get in vehicles, and the aliens look cool, and there was really good music. Successful game demo. Congratulations. You did one successful game demo in, like, three decades. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I mean, uh, let's see. They also did Quake 3, I think, uh, where we were excited that Quake 3 was on the Mac, uh, but that was uh, more of a narrow thing. But, like, it can be done. But repeatedly showing uh, phone games, like, it's not going to wow anybody who's into games. Now, all that said, I'm not saying they should never have game demos, because you do have to show, here's what Apple Arcade has to offer. And where I differ from Marco is that the reason Apple Arcade is appealing is because, you know, like, uh, are any of those 100 games good? You don't have to pay for all 100. You pay the flat fee and you can find the better one. Whereas if you're looking at the millions of stores in the App Store and you don't have word of mouth, you have to buy them to find out or find out which one is a bad free-to-play mechanic or whatever. But they have to show, here are the games that we have. And what they want to show is this. The games that are in Apple Arcade are high-quality, competently-made games. But you don't have to show an in-depth demo with, with, the pres- with the developers of the game showing you the gameplay and that stilted way to do that. But we do need to see, what do I get? What do I get for my $5 a month for my whole family? And Apple needs to say, you get these games, which, you know, they look like good, high-quality, interesting games. And what they should show is, we have a game like this. We have a card game. We have a racing game. We have an- And just, you know, show all the games with little pieces of them. But you don't have time to go into depth on any of them because you want people. But you want people to understand: if I pay this money, I will get good games. And if they were a little bit more savvy, they would emphasize what I think is the main selling point of Apple Arcade. But they rarely talk about when they bring it up to a larger audience, which is that they're not exploitive free-to-play games. There's no in-app purchases. It's a it's a game that we couldn't cause to be created because of the incentives we created over there. So we have an entirely different set of incentives <laughs> over here, which is going to make these games substantially different than those games. Uh, and, you know, like a lot of the things that annoy you about those other games on our App Store, which is probably why Apple doesn't talk about it, don't exist in the, these games. And I, I kind of understand why they don't want to emphasize that. But I think if and when people start actually using the service, they will notice that difference and feel more comfortable letting their kids play any of those hundreds of games for the flat fee, knowing that they're not going to be exploited or accidentally sent, spend $3,000 on dino eggs or whatever the hell they're getting <laughs> anyway we spent too long in games uh so did apple yeah but there's no <laughs> exactly there's no <laughs> nice. reason to bash on apple particularly about games now you could do this at any time feel free to replay this segment anytime in the past or future 
We are sponsored this week by Mack Weldon better than whatever you're wearing right now. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand. They believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. The basics of this are great. I'll tell you right now. The website is great. Everything is straightforward and honest. And, you know, it's a nice, nice website, nice shopping, fast shipping, easy returns. All that's great. Let me tell you for the rest of this ad about the clothing. I actually sought them out as a sponsor. I really wanted them to be a sponsor because I myself had fallen in love with Mack Weldon clothes. I'm Right now, I'm wearing uh, their socks, their underwear and their sh- and their t-shirt their the pima cotton shirt now all summer i wore the silver line the silver t-shirts uh, because they are naturally antimicrobial and they help basically they help you not stink uh you, no matter what you do in the summertime if you're wearing one of those silver t-shirts you won't stink it's it's really magical and now in as a transition to the fall i'm switching more into their long sleeve pima tees uh their warm knit sweatshirt a bunch of other stuff but some, a lot of my favorites i'm wearing mac Baldwin clothing every day usually multiple pieces a day because it's just really good i bought almost all this with my own money i have i have now replaced almost all of my wardrobe with mac weldon clothes for the types of things they make it's just great high quality materials high quality construction and it just works great it fits great i have had to return a few things and they made it super easy you know just like for random little fit reasons it's just wonderful buying from Mack Weldon. I, I strongly recommend that you check them out. Uh, this is why I sought them out as a sponsor. I really wanted to be able to say this. Honestly, I wear this stuff all the time, and I just love it. They even have a cool deal where if you buy a pair of underwear and you don't like it, they will refund you, but you get to, you get to keep it. They don't want your used underwear back. You get to keep it. See for yourself all this great stuff at MacWeldon.com and enter code ATP at checkout to get 20% off your first order. Well, once again, this is MacWeldon, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N, MacWeldon.com, code ATP for 20% off your first order. Thank you so much to Mac Weldon for clothing me and for sponsoring the show. All right. Uh, you know, I forgot to mention the opening video, which I thought was really good with uh, like the, the, the art of all the different Apple products kind of morphing into each other. I effectively am brand new to Apple compared to, you know, the old man in the room. And I thought that was great. And I recognized a lot of stuff that I didn't even own. And I, I thought it was awesome. Uh, Marco, John, what did you guys think? Let me start again with Marco, since you probably have less emotional attachment like I do to a lot of this. Marco, what did you think of that opening video? I liked it. I mean, my my main issue with the all the videos they do now is similar to what I was saying earlier of like they just seem so like boring and corporate. It's like here's some art. It's fun. Look at how happy we all are about our products <laughs> and services. And it's like I I like the ones with a little bit more personality, but it's Apple has a hard time showing interesting personality in their videos these days without it coming across as weird or cheesy. Like they, I think they're they're going through kind of a rough time of like the the attitude that they present to the world, trying to appear not like the world's like biggest richest corporation that they are, uh, and trying to appear like friendly and human without it being you know fake and saccharine. Um, so this opening video with you know little rainbow like line art and stuff about their products, it was nice. It was fun. I think it set expectations that weren't met. Uh, that we were going to see some kind of rainbow involvement in the products, and that didn't happen. Uh, but you know, as as was rumored. But uh, we'll see what happens later. John, yeah, those things are are fine and cute, but they're uh, you know, I, I think that this video was was you know perfectly fine. But in the past, uh, they have had these intro videos not just be uh, you know passive eye candy to make you like appreciate 
uh, the company and its products and then go into the presentation, but they've, they've been like the start of the message. You know, they, they've, there's been a theme to the presentation. It's like, we're going to pitch you on some particular thing. Think of the iOS 7 one. Remember that whole presentation? That was not just a cool looking video. It was also part of the pitch. It was preparing you for what was to come, was to say, we are doing a particular thing starting now, and here's how we think about it. Here's what we're going to show you. Here's our our new attitude or angle on this particular thing. Uh, Those are the best movies. So, yes, they're beautifully done, and they're nice or whatever, but there's a that it's like like sort of the intro paragraph to the essay that is the presentation. And this one was just like, uh, uh, you know, a frilly cover page. It's like, yep, Apple, fun, okay. <laughs> and I think that's perfectly fine. You don't really have to have the pitch, but because we've had the ones that are, uh, that have more portent, you know, we've had things in the past that have led into the presentation, it's natural for uh, us longtime fans to read into it like Marco did and say, ooh, they're showing rainbow stuff. Maybe that's that rainbow rumor, right? And so it's almost hard for them to avoid that. So I don't fault them for having a fun little presentation, but I do think it's... Uh, it's more exciting for me and more engaging for these super diehard fans to have an intro video that that points in a particular direction and, and fits with the theme. Fair enough. I can't say I disagree. All right. So we saw you know Apple Arcade, five bucks for an entire family, one month free trial, uh, which comes out on the 19th, I believe, which is a Thursday, oddly, and in 150 countries, which is good. Uh, we've talked a lot about games, and it sounds like most of us don't care. Well, I would say like the $5 price is about what people were thinking, and I think it's a good deal. Uh, if you want to have a bunch of games where you don't have to worry about your kids getting sucked into some seedy underbelly of games on the platform, it's a great idea to spend 5 bucks and let them give it a try. And maybe all the games will stink, but I bet there'll be some good ones in there. So I think the uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to sign up for it. I mean, I think I will probably unsign up for it fairly quickly but i do want to i do want to sit because i don't play a lot of games on ios but i do want to actually see the game so pay five bucks try out as many games as you can tolerate and then unsubscribe uh but for everyone else i think this is uh a pretty as many people have said of all the services apple offers despite their complete inability to demo games on stage this one looks like it has the highest chance of being worth the five dollars to a a fairly large number of people yeah and and again like you know i I don't want to you know end on two down of a note on it like I think it is a great price and a great setup and, and a great set of you know rules and and value proposition for a gaming service, but none of that will matter if all the games are mediocre. What, you know what I want to know is what's the what what's the first game on this on Apple Arcade that I really got to play, and I'm I'm going to wait until somebody else tells me that before I actually jump in. I mean, and it's not just you because it's a family thing. What's the first game that your kids going to play? That's another place where I differ. Like the the no one cares about impressive graphics and games. When I see like my cousins play games on their iPads, they all love to play what I think are these garbagey games because they have super cool graphics of a motorbike or a jet plane or like lots of like vehicle or driving games or side scrollers with huge explosions. No, they're not particularly impressive graphics when it comes to like young children and preteens who want to play something on their iPad, they're absolutely drawn to spectacle and ridiculous explosions and silly things like that. And yes, they also like the games that are just fun, little dorky, simple games. But I mean, those don't appeal to us because like that hack and slash game with the big sword and the dragons and all that stuff that we've seen a million times has no appeal to anyone who's super into games and most adults. But to young kids, there is a certain novelty and shininess and they don't care that the gameplay is bad and they'll just think it's cool to you know maybe they'll get sucked into one or maybe they'll just get it and, and play it but that's what they're drawn to so i don't i don't entirely discount the sort of mediocre game with reasonably cool graphics and 
And it's a it's a bit of a slight to say anybody can have good graphics because like technically, yes, but artistically, someone has to make all that art and it's hard to make good art. And some of the things they show do have good art. It's just not going to impress uh, uh, someone who's wants to be wowed by a game demo. But, uh, you know, a seven year old kid uh, left to their own devices, they're not going to watch this presentation, but they are going to go to Apple Arcade and just say, I like the icon of that game. I'm going to download it. Ooh, this looks cool. And I'm going to play with it. And they will have a good time, despite the fact that the game will never appear appeal to any of us. Indeed. Apple TV Plus, they showed us a trailer for the show CSEE, which is about a future where nobody in the world can see anything, but uh, apparently they get it. Born. Yeah, exactly. Then two kids are born that can. This had a very Children of Men feel to it to me, which is a compliment. Uh, it's, I like that they called out that they actually consulted with blind and low vision cast crew and consultants, etc. Uh, first shows will be available November 1, 100 plus countries, $5 a month for the entire family. And you use it with the Apple TV app on iPhone, iPad, and presumably the Mac, question mark. Um, And then what's interesting is if you buy any new physical device, well, not any, but you know what I mean, like iPhone, iPad, etc., you get a year of free Apple TV Plus, which, as with so much with Apple, in retrospect, seems obvious. I never would have guessed it leading into the event, though. And I think that's a really, really solid plan because, honestly, nothing I've seen yet on Apple TV Plus is really revving my engine, but I would certainly give it a shot if it's free for a year. So there's some questions about this deal. First is, I haven't, sorry, I haven't had time to look this up, but like it, you get a year free if you buy an iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV. Okay, so if I buy a new iPhone every year, do I essentially never have to pay for Apple TV Plus? So on upgrade, uh, Jason and Mike were going through, they, I think Jason was looking at the terms, and there's a limit of one of these trials per Apple ID family unit. Forever? Yeah. So like if you the way he was describing it, it sounds like it might be implemented as a regular uh, app store recurring subscription where I I think if you don't cancel, I think you get charged. Uh, It's like after a year. So that's that's a thing. Um, but it, it seems to, the way he was describing it, I, I should look this up, I'm sorry, but yes, it seems the way he was describing it that it was basically applying it to either your Apple ID if you're an individual, or if you're in an Apple ID family, then it applies to your family. And so if it works that way, like App Store trial subscriptions, then you only get one, and that's it. Yeah, and the, the other way they could handle this, regardless of what the rules are, is they could just discontinue this year-free trial next year, right? So sure, also, yeah. you know, So then you'd get your year and It's all right. So anyway, this whole scheme, like... This, it makes sense from their perspective, but the whole structure of Apple TV Plus, like them giving the free trial and pricing it at $5 a month, we, we always knew this was going to be the case. We, we, we know what shows they're going to have. They have the whole big thing with Oprah and Steven Spielberg. We kind of know all the shows. Like they have a limited number of shows. They apparently don't have anything else. It's not like they have, it's not like they, they bought Friends for $100 million and they don't have this giant back catalog of movies that you can watch for free. Like they're not Netflix, right? They're not even Hulu with that number of shows. They have a limited number of sort of boutique shows they made. They're much more like HBO, right? But they have no track record. They have no sort of shows that everyone knows they're going to want. They have stars, and they have things made by creators that you may know, but there's a lot of doubt. And so before anyone has actually seen any of these shows, before any customers have seen them, they have to get you in the door somehow. And they've, I think, correctly decided that on the strength of our shows – we can't get enough people to sign up for this because they haven't seen the shows yet. So how do I get over the hurdle? Like, and they're also like not confident that, oh, well, no one's seen them yet. But boy, once people see the first two episodes of C, it's going to be the next Game of Thrones and everybody's going to tell all their friends, oh, my God, you've got to get this service. 
they don't have that confidence. I think they're right enough to have that confidence. They're probably not going to get a smash hit right out of the gate. So year free trial that gives Apple a year to find one or two hit shows or to turn one or two of their shows. It starts off shaky, but they, you know, it finds its legs, right? Gives them a chance to do that. It gets the numbers up because, hey, you're going to get it for free or, or, you know, whatever. And because they're recurring, you might, and it's only $5 a month, maybe people will drift into next year, you know, and still keep paying for it or if they're into a particular show. So it's it's not a strength move, but I think it's the right thing for Apple to do because they're not in a position of strength. And that, that C trailer, I was looking forward to that show. That was not a good trailer. <laughs> like, I think Apple does know how to make a good trailer for a TV show, but what they showed did not give me high hopes for that particular program but hey they, they can't all be hits so you know i'm <laughs> i'm absolutely going to uh well i'm gonna get apple tv for free because my, my wife is buying all the things this year um, <laughs> but yeah i'm gonna try a whole bunch of these shows because i actually am interested in them and because i have subscribed to every streaming service in the entire world i will probably continue <laughs> to pay for it next year i i feel similarly about apple tv plus as i do about apple arcade which is the pricing seems fine. The terms and and the you know the the metrics and everything all sound fine. I will care when there's a hit, and uh, if there isn't a hit, I'm not going to buy it and subscribe to it just for the sake of maybe it'll get better. Like when there's a hit that I start hearing that I have to see, that's when I'll jump in. And these monthly things are great. Like I you know I subscribe to CBS long enough to watch Star Trek, and then I unsubscribe, and then the new season comes out, and I subscribe, and I watch Star Trek, and then I unsubscribe. Like it's not <laughs> a particularly bad model, and you know managing it on an Apple device is not that hard. You know I can watch it on my television, I can watch it on my iPad. It's cheaper for me to subscribe to CBS All Access or whatever it's called for one month than it would be for me to try to like rent it or buy it all from iTunes or any of the other past things. So you know yeah, Apple Apple should just keep trying to make good shows. And if they get a hit or two, people will subscribe and watch a show and unsubscribe, and it's on Apple to keep making good shows. It's exactly what HBO has to do, which is the closest analog. You know, Game of Thrones ends. Why are people still watching it? Oh, it turns out Succession's pretty good. Like, the HBO finds a way to keep me watching anyway. So that's what Apple's got to do. Indeed. All righty. So let's move on. Let's talk about iPad. When I think we can make this probably pretty quick. Famous last words. Seventh generation iPad with Touch ID. It lingers on. A 10.2-inch display. Uh, it is a new resolution. We were not sure about that when we were writing the show notes. If I if I did my research correctly, it is 2160 by 1620 instead of 2048 by 1536. So just a little bit bigger. It has a Generation 1 Apple Pencil, a 3.7 inch, or inch, my goodness, 3.7 times wider viewer viewing angle, and an A10 Fusion, which is from 2016, and that's from the iPhone 7, is that right? Right, because it isn't the A10X, which was the iPad version with the bigger GPU, it's just the A10, which is what they, they usually, you know, that isn't unusual, usually on the, on the lower end iPad models, they don't usually give the X version of the chip that has the bigger, bigger GPU, they, they just do the regular, like, phone version of the chip, the minis like that, and usually the low end ones are as well. But yeah, A10, you know, the A10 was a fine chip when it came out. It, it's getting a little old, but, you know, for the products that are super low in the lineup, uh, that's fine, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I, that's the part that's most disappointing about this model, but it's not that disappointing because the A10, like just thinking of, again, uh, people who I see, kids I see playing with iPads and stuff, like you'd want to get your kid the cheapest iPad, but they eventually want the bigger one usually. This can play most of the games that they that kids young kids would be into playing like you don't know they can't play the super duper cutting edge graphics but the app store is not filled with games like the app store anyone who puts something in the app store and spends that money making a game wants to target a wide audience so an a10 
can play all those games. And aside from games, there's no reason they need anything stronger. It would be better if it had an A11 or an X or something like that. But uh, overall, like this is you know this is the cheap iPad, the cheap cheap iPad. This is the best cheap cheap iPad I think they've ever had because it has <laughs> almost all of the features that you care about, albeit in lesser form, uh, as the you know the Pro models. Pencil support, but not not as good. Uh, smart connector support, but doesn't have the newest keyboard thing. Uh, you know, doesn't have Face ID, but no one cares about that. It's got a screen and it's bigger. It's not as nice as the other screens, but it's still nicer than it was. Uh, I would have no problem recommending this as a good big iPad to get for for anybody who knows they're they're not going to be particularly dem- particularly demanding and they're not into the pencil. The, the pencil is where I kind of draw the line of like, look, if you're going to use the pencil all the time, there's no need for you to go through fumbling with that round thing like <laughs> well there is a need if you can't afford the much more expensive uh, that, pro thing that's but, the but, thing it's so much more expensive to get the ipad yeah. pro yeah maybe get a case with a little slot to put the pencil in i guess yeah and i mean if anything like like this this new cheap ipad i think really takes a lot of the wind out of the sails of the ipad air which is that the kind of mid-priced model which is not that much better than it yeah when they did that lineup i'm like why is that why is that still there and it, it's so clearly not long for this world or going to be upgraded we are sponsored this week by Fracture, who prints your photos in vivid color directly onto glass. Visit FractureMe.com slash ATP for a special discount on your first order. Almost all of us take photos and we share them online, but very few of those photos ever end up getting printed, and even few of them end up getting displayed anywhere ever again. You see it on the, fo- on the social timeline, and then it falls off the timeline after, what, a day? And you never see it again. Let Fracture help you focus on those moments that mean the most in your life by turning your favorite digital memories into meaningful photo decor. Fracture prints are these amazing edge-to-edge pieces of glass. The photo is printed, it's a very thin piece of glass, so it's pretty it's very lightweight. You don't have to worry about it like, you know, crashing down and taking, you know, taking your wall out with it. It's a very lightweight, thin sheet of glass. On the back of the glass, shining through the front, is the photo print. It is kind of like one cohesive unit there's you don't see any edges you don't see any seams there's no border there's no frame it is its own totally standalone piece of art that goes edge to edge and the photo is right there on the glass and it just looks amazing in any decor they also make amazing thoughtful unique gifts for almost anyone i have them all over my house people love them they compliment me on the time and we've given them as gifts a lot to people and they are always very well received you can feel good about them too. They're handmade in Gainesville, Florida from U.S. source materials in a carbon neutral factory. They're all checked for quality by real humans. They're a green company. It's amazing. See for yourself at FractureMe.com slash ATP. That'll get you a special discount on your first Fracture order. They will ask you after purchase a one-question survey. Where'd you hear about us? Just make sure to tell them you heard about them here on ATP. So once again, go to FractureMe.com slash ATP for a special discount on your first Fracture order, and make sure to tell them you came from ATP. Thank you so much to Fracture for sponsoring our show. Moving on to the watch. Uh, That video punched me right in the feels. Just so good. And I don't say that sarcastically. I really mean it. I thought that video was great. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and speaking of like, what is, what is modern Apple's face to the world? They're a big corporation and like, what is their message or whatever? One thing that Apple has been fairly consistently, fairly on message about and I think good about is that like in the sort of Tim Cook era, the, the message to Apple to the world about its products has like the strongest one that is coherent is here are the real people that use our products and the value they derive from them in their lives. Right. And obviously that's the, the world's most generic pitch for a thing, but they make really good videos showing real people 
being genuine on camera about things that have happened in their life that are tangentially related to Apple products because they have to work in the Apple product. But I think they do it in a way that we buy it. We say, this isn't, it's not like where they're, you know, Burger King gets someone to say, I saw my kid born and I had a Burger King burger next to me. Like that's not connected. (laughs) There's no, there's no connection right there. But like, like this video with the Apple watch, I had a health issue and Apple watch participated in my health crisis in, in a positive way. Like, it's, the connection is clear. The people are clear. They're really well-done videos. You know, it's hitting Casey in the feels. This is good advertising. <laughs> right? It is well-done advertising. And Apple does these things a lot. And we see them, and we feel like they're genuine. And we say, yeah, okay, I see that. I see the benefit you're pitching. I believe that there is a connection. And I believe because of the way you made your products, they have made these people's lives better in this way. Total success. They do these all the time. Uh, and I... They are, they're not getting old to me. Like, they're, I'm Agreed. not so, so jaded that I don't believe that they're real. Now, on the other hand, they, you, know, you could say, okay, that's fine, but what about... And then put on a giant pile of other things, all the way up to and including the keyboard that we all hate or whatever. But for the moments while you're watching those videos, because they do a good job, we're all like, yep, all right, you did it. Yep, good job. We, we believe you. We like you. This is one of the things we like about Apple. And I, w- I would file into that category also what you just uh, we just mentioned about the ipad the whole uh environmental stuff that they keep doing with their little checklist that gets longer and now they're adding 100 percent recycled aluminum and everything like that. people roll their eyes at that i don't roll my eyes at it could they be better of course they can always be better but they stubbornly insist to continue to put that in their presentations i think they're hoping hey why don't you ask every other tech company why they don't do all these things like you know whatever they are bpa free lead free uh, you know what percentage of recycling how much renewable energy do they use obviously apple is bragging trying but let's uh, trying to say that they're you know a better company than other people but they're doing these things it costs them more money to do these things than it would otherwise like in the short term right these are positive things that apple's doing they keep hammering on them it's been a very consistent message it's much more boring than the videos that hit you in the fields but i feel like it is another consistent message out of tim cook's apple that's a positive message and despite the fact that we see it over and over and over again, I say keep putting it up on the slides because it's something that the world needs to see. Yep, agreed. Following that, uh, they had a woman whose name I did not catch. In fact, most of the presenters, I did not catch their names, and I apologize for that. Wait, I actually did. Can I can I make a quick little thing about this? I don't know what yeah. this was about. Um, so, yeah, so Apple Arcade, the, the presenter was introduced simply as Anne. There were a whole bunch of people brought up on stage only with first name and no title. And I feel like that was a little bit odd. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they need some consistency. Like, especially if it's a new person that were that hasn't been in a presentation before, it's good to say and welcome, blah blah blah, director of blah blah blah, so we know like what connection they have to the product that they're showing. Um, I always think like I, I know this can't possibly be true because of how much they rehearse these things, but I'm like maybe they just forgot the last name, or maybe <laughs> maybe maybe the last name is difficult to pronounce and they bailed on it in a panic, which we can all relate to <laughs> having to speak, you know. Uh, people's na- unfamiliar names, but I don't, you know, maybe they just don't care that much about the consistency, but titles, titles would be great. Cause okay. We know the person and uh, we know the person's first name and maybe their last name and they're presenting, but like, who are they? Are they an engineering manager? Are they a director? Are they a marketing executive? Like who, who are they in relation to this product? I think they, that would help frame the presentation, but as usual, everyone who presented, I thought did such a good job that it didn't even occur to me think about to think about what kind of job they did. Again, setting aside like the non-Apple employees, those poor people from game studios who are up there trying to demo their games when they're already set up to fail. Uh, but the <laughs> Apple people, the Apple people are all great. 
Yeah, I agree. Going back a moment just to the to the last name thing and, and the titles, I think another way that, that that matters is in realizing and recognizing diversity. You know, we, we've been talking about diversity. Everyone's been talking about diversity in, in tech companies and tech presentations for years now. And Apple is getting a lot better at it. Uh, but one of the ways that it helps is if you can tell what whether the person on stage has like a, a really strong position in that product or not. Like, you know, John was saying, like, you know, you could tell, like, are they an engineer? Are they a marketing person? Are they in charge of a lot of things? Are they, are they you know, just somebody they hired to do a demo? Like, you don't know, right? A title gives legitimacy. A title says, if you're seeing a kind of person up there that you don't usually see in the board of, you know, the panel of like bland white guys up there, it means a lot more if they also tell you, this person's the product manager on this product or something like that, right? Like it, they, they, they lend legitimacy to these people to say, not only here's somebody named Anne, but no, here's Anne and she's like the boss of this division. Like that, that's a lot better. What was the, um, the woman who does the iMac? Wasn't that a good example of them saying? Yes. Yeah. She was, she was the product manager for the whole iMac. And, exactly. exactly. And, and that's not, and interestingly, that's not her only job. Like we found out later with all the interviews with whatever. She doesn't just oversee the iMac. She oversees a bunch of stuff, but she was presented in the presentation pointedly as the iMac. She's in charge of it. And they didn't have to mention, oh, and by the way, also these other things, right? So it immediately gave her legitimacy. By the way, that's, that's uh, Colleen Novielli is her name. Yeah. Yes, it, thank you. It immediately gave her legitimacy to like to to speak authoritatively, like to, to Marco's point of seeing the title, whether it's like director, vice president, like those words that you know carry weight. Worldwide director of product marketing, we all know who that is, right? Like uh, <laughs> yeah. we, put world, we put worldwide in front of things. It sounds so much more impressive. <laughs> so anyway, so after uh, that that video that punched me in the feels, we had uh, one of the women who was on stage, whose again name escapes me, and I'm sorry, uh, who did the new health studies, uh, which I was excited to see the Apple Watch hearing study, the Apple hearing study, which is largely about the watch. Her name being. given was Sambal, uh, but no last name, no title. Wonderful. Uh, the Apple Hearing Study, uh, which is because, you know, the watch can can obviously hear your environment. Uh, the thing that I was most excited about and impressed by was the Apple Women's Health Study, which in, includes infertility, which is near and dear to my heart, and osteoporosis, and the Apple Heart and Movement Study. So I, I don't think we need to talk too much about these, but I think these are all really great examples of, yeah, you know, Apple can do some really navel-gazy, really, you know, really selfish stuff, but I feel like these health studies from everything I can tell as a non-doctor really do seem like Apple genuinely trying to improve the world. And it may or may not make a dent on the universe. So, you know, if you will, but I do think that they're doing the right thing here and, and I am all on board for them continuing to go down this path. Yeah, then we had another topic that we'll probably actually talk about another day of exactly how Apple is currently trying to address the healthcare market and how they could best address it. But right now, this is what they're doing with these, you know, they have devices that can participate in healthcare in various ways, and they are pursuing sort of the, I'm going to say the obvious things, but like, look, they made they made a watch, they intentionally put a bunch of health sensors in it, they can record data, then, then they can sort of alert based on that data. And the fact they have these devices that are attached to people that can do things for you makes it the perfect tool for like, you know, widespread studies uh, where they need lots of participants. And Apple's like, we've got lots of customers. We can actually help there. Uh, you don't have to get recruit a bunch of people and get them to do some weird thing. If we can just gather data from people who already have Apple watches, you know, that's great. Yep. 
So speaking of Apple Watches, now we're getting into the meat of the show. The new Apple Watch Series 5. Uh, the highlight feature here, which has gotten us to the point that Marco has already bought himself an Apple Watch and he has sworn off his mechanical BS from 1812. The display is always on. Marco, how excited are you? Finally, I can see the mediocre watch faces all the time. <laughs> I, I can't believe you could be negative about that. Really? <laughs> finally. What do you mean, finally? Nobody um, expected always on watch display this year. This is this is the standout announcement of the entire presentation, which is this alone puts this presentation above average. That's why I didn't just say it's average. No, I, I completely agree. Like in all in all seriousness, this is a really huge upgrade to the watch that I didn't think we were ready for yet. Like I didn't think we were there battery life wise to do this. Um, and, and, you know, none of us have these yet. We don't know what the trade-offs really are yet. We'll find out. Maybe there's some kind of weird thing, but it seems like they really pulled it off. And I, you know, even though the Apple watch is, is mostly not for me, this was one of the huge reasons why I didn't like it. That, that every time I yeah, glance yeah. at it, it, it would be, it should be a black rectangle and I'd have to like twist my arm in a weird way a lot of times. And a lot of times it just wouldn't work. It's funny. One of the, so I do usually wear it during workouts and, one of the one of the pictures they showed was somebody holding a plank <laughs> and like i have actually been doing that exact thing wearing a watch <laughs> wanting to see what's on the screen and not been able to i yep. can't rotate my wrist at that moment yep. for, and i was like well i guess i'll just micro targeted advertising just at you yeah right so like it applies to me too but yes i agree <laughs> so like it, it actually it's a huge upgrade that will uh, i don't know how you know how great it is yet but that will dramatically change what it's like to wear the watch that's a huge huge deal and you know there's lots of details to work out lots of you know design issues and questions one of the biggest things i want to know is like what's it like to be in a room with a bunch of these things you know like if you're if you're like in a room and a bunch of people have watches is it going to be distracting like is it or have they tweaked the brightness algorithms enough so that you're, it doesn't seem like you're in like a sports bar full of little tiny TVs on everybody's wrists. Yeah, you know, it is dimmer. <laughs> it is dimmer in the ambient mode. I'm assuming mostly to charge ba- to save battery. But there, are, as far as I would tell from the people taking pictures of the thing, there is like a dim mode, which is kind of the always on display, and then there's I'm interacting with it, which is a higher brightness. Right, and the dim mode also simplifies what's on screen. So any watch face that has a white background, it switches it to black, uh, so it uses fewer pixels and saves energy. It also removes the animated seconds hand from the analog faces, so it doesn't have to keep updating the screen at 60 hertz. Like they said, they, they, they can slow down the refresh rate to what they said, one hertz which is one hertz in reality. <laughs> uh, the unit is not called hurt if it's only one. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so that's that's a huge deal. Like the, the all the tech going into that, all the advancement, the, the the battery optimization, the the you know adjusting all the watch faces to support this. I do think that this is probably the nail in the coffin for any hope of there ever being third party watch faces, because this is the kind of yeah, thing that Apple yeah. really, you know. If there were third-party watch faces, they basically couldn't have done this, or they would have had to put weird restrictions on them or things like that. And I can see them just wanting to keep that control for themselves forever. And that's nah. as unfortunate for me because I really want third-party watch faces. One of the reasons why the Apple Watch is not currently my favorite is because I don't really love any of the faces right now. Uh, I have like minor you know minor or major problems with almost all of them um and so it's not really for me but uh but for everyone who it is for this is a massive upgrade i'll also say you know other otherwise like 
we didn't get a lot of other detail about like what else is different about it but like that alone i i don't think i'm gonna get one because i don't i don't use my series four enough and the series for my purposes of like you know developing the app the series four is probably fine like i don't even my app doesn't even have a meaningful complication so any i can't even say like oh i have to test my complication on the new always on screen like no i really don't uh but anyway uh it looks like a really good upgrade. And if I were an a, a everyday Apple Watch wearer, I would seriously consider it because of how incredibly different that the screen thing will make it as, as just an overall experience. Um, as for the finishes, by the way, before I forget, uh, people you know people ask me a lot about you know watch stuff and the watch finishes. I love that they introduced titanium. I love that they brought back white ceramic. Uh, the white ceramic, I can tell you, is fantastic. I, I don't love with these new ones that they've made the crown black on it. It's it's kind of a weird uh, contrast with the white. Uh, I don't I don't love that. But otherwise, uh, in the pictures so far, the titanium really looks fantastic. the The one thing though, and 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 the hands on people who were there say that it was um, noticeably lighter as well, which is nice. The one thing that, that I will say, though, is that I I would strongly suggest anybody who is on the fence about which one of these to get or who is interested in the titanium, maybe, wait until you can see it in person because it's a very different finish. It is a brushed, it's like a, a, a horizontally brushed finish, it looks like on the titanium from the pictures, uh, which the steel models are polished. So they're, you know, high polish, like mirror finish. And then the aluminum models have that kind of like sandblasted look. So titanium being like a brushed finish is a very different look. And I don't know how that will appear or not in person. Like, I haven't ordered one yet in part because I'm trying to rationalize myself out of it, but also in part because I can't decide which one to order. Um, I I think, off the top of my head, I think the the light-colored titanium is probably going to look the best. But until I see it in person, I wouldn't make that call. And I, I would suggest to you, our dear listeners, you might not want to either because these things can look very different in person. So I am extremely stoked to receive mine. As I've said earlier, uh, Aaron and I both ordered new ones. I finally took the plunge on the smaller watch. Uh, yeah, I, I'm rolling a, what is it, 42 millimeter Series 3. Uh, I have little teeny tiny wrists, so I went for the 40 millimeter uh, Series 5 cellular again because I do love having it when I go running. Um, I am super pumped. I want the titanium really badly, but it's something that I don't see sticking around for a long time. I can't justify the cost. You know, I'll probably keep this watch for a year or two, hopefully two. If all, all as much as I like to snark on Marco, I, I can't appreciate a, a, an honest to goodness mechanical watch. And if this was a mechanical watch that I was keeping forever, I probably would do the uh, $700 or whatever it is titanium. But no, I just went uh, whatever the cheapo one was, well, with cellular, uh, the sport model with cellular, and Aaron got the non cellular one. And I'm really excited about it. Also worth noting that you can choose, I, I think for the first time, right? That yeah, this is you huge. can choose. You can choose any watch case with any band. It used to be that if you got a sport watch, you could only get like sport bands or you know a, a subset of the available bands. Now you could get the cheapo watch with the link bracelet or whatever the most expensive band of the day is. And I think that's really great. And I, I did their little online configurator thing to use car parlance, uh, which was good. And it let you kind of visualize what you were going to get. I have a feeling this is going to be really great in stores. I'm a little 
curious how the packaging is going to be for this, you know, especially if you buy this in, in store, you know, do they hand you two different boxes? Do they have an infinite array of combinations in the back? I would assume not. Um, I, I'm curious to see how this works out. But well, did you, did you buy a Series 4? No, 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 no. No, I'm still rocking the 3. Because the Series 4, the packaging for the Series 4 was separated. It was like there was, there was like a very thin outer box. But inside that box were two totally separate boxes. One had the strap and one had the watch. And then you had to assemble it after the fact. So it seemed almost uh, like they were kind of preparing for it with the Series 4 and maybe just didn't, you know, didn't get it all together in time or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, like it was already, it's already been separate for a year, like in the packaging and everything. Gotcha, they were gotcha. just bundled together with like a thin black outer box. That is some quality RTFU. Thank you. Uh, so anyway, uh, I am really stoked to get these. I am really stoked to have always on uh, watch face. It doesn't bother me as much as I think it bothers you, Marco, but it definitely bothers me. I'm not sitting here and saying it's a non-issue. It's an issue. And I am excited. I'm really excited to, to have this on my wrist. I really honestly am. Uh, the GPS starts at $400. Cellular starts at $500. And also, yeah, we haven't touched on this yet, and we're going to touch on it more in a minute. I am not even kidding when I tell you possibly my favorite announcements of this entire event were the means by which I can throw piles of cash at Apple. Because literally as soon as the event was over, I ordered two Apple Watches. I didn't have to wake up at midnight or, or three in the morning or anything like that. The keynote was over. I went to the Apple web, website and I bought myself two Apple Watches. Or, I, you know, I bought the family two Apple Watches. That was awesome. It was incredible. There's nothing to yeah, worry about. That was, and, and, I, I wish I would have had a choice. <laughs> like, I, if I would have known which titanium I was interested in, if any, uh, yeah. I, I might have already ordered one. Yeah, you know, and uh, we're going to get on a deep tangent, which we don't have time for. But I would like to just say, if you're not going to let us order something today which they did with the watch, which I commend. And I think in a perfect world, that's what I would want. But if you have something like the phones where you're going to make us wait a couple of days before we order, why doesn't retail get examples of these phones to put out right after the keynote? And yes, I know, okay, leaks. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm just saying like in my perfect fantasy world, it should be that the keynote is over and either that day or the next day, I can go to my local Apple store and see these in person so I can figure out what I want. Like, this is the firstest of first world problems. But if you're going to give us that delay, then put the damn devices in the store so we can see them. That would make it so much nicer. Yeah, that would be amazing. Uh, finally, the Series 3 persists. It is it is $200 for a GPS model. I don't think they have cellular models of the Series 3 anymore, uh, but that is the, the cheapo watch. And you know what? $200 for a not that old Apple Watch? I don't think that's a bad deal. I think that's pretty good all in all. Yeah, that's a great... I mean, the Series 3, yes, it is now two years old, but it's also still fine. Yeah, mine uh, feels good. I mean, gra granted, I don't really have a lot to compare to, but it's I, I haven't felt like it's slow in the same way my Series 0 absolutely did uh, at this point in its life. No, I mean, the, the Series 0 was ungodly slow on day one of its well, life. Fair, fair, fair. Uh, the Series 1 and 2, which are the same watch, uh, confusingly, but the Series 1 and 2 uh, are were faster in, in the sense they were less slow. Uh, the Series 3 was the one that made a massive jump forward in performance. For them to keep that one around is totally fine. 
I would have preferred the Series 4 as a developer. I, w- I would have preferred that one to be the one that sticks around longer because it has the different screen shape with the rounded corners and everything. And that would mean that, like, all the old square screens I could stop supporting, like, a few years earlier than I now have to support them. Uh, but that's, you know, that's fine. We can deal with that. I do wonder why the Series 4 wasn't the one kept around. Yeah. Uh, and either instead of or in addition to the Series 3, like why you have $200 for the Series 3 and then $400 for the Series 5. Okay. Why, yeah, why, what happened to the, series, to the Series 4? It seemed totally fine. I, we have two of them in our house. They're wonderful. Like, I don't know, but oh well. Yeah. Uh, oh, and uh, real-time follow-up, the uh, cellular Series 3 is available, and that is $300, as you would expect. I wonder if the Series 4 is a manufacturing line thing, because the Series 5 is basically, as far as I can tell, physically identical on the outside in terms of dimensions and everything as the Series 4. So maybe there's some... Uh, that's a good, some point. Shared, a good I, point. I don't... Maybe they're not at volumes where that matters. I don't know. That's just... I'm just... Like, the Series 3 price for 200 is is a... Oh, God, my phone is activating again. This has become... Okay. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, you said Series 3. This has been a problem recently. I don't know. Something about... Anyway. Yeah, my, my HomePod started playing music during the keynote because of something mm-hmm. they said on screen. <laughs> yeah, this has been happening to me during podcasts. I just turn off the feature. I so rarely use it. Uh, anyway, I feel like there's a sort of a line. There's two lines here. One is the, you know, the curved display on the Series 4. Like, there's a dividing line between the old Apple Watches and the new, just visually. And now with the always-on display, there's a second, perhaps even darker line, depending on how much of an impact that has on people. Um, and speaking of the always-on display... I don't think that puts a nail in any kind of coffin for custom watch faces, that custom watch faces are still totally a thing that Apple could do. If you made one, you'd have to deal with always on display the same way your apps deal with dark mode. Like, it's just a thing uh, that you would point, have to deal with. Point. doesn't mean they're ever going to do it, but I don't think always on display changes the odds one way or the other. And I feel like as time goes on, the odds slowly increase. I always just think about third-party keyboards. Like, eventually you start running out of features to add and you're like, you know what? Okay, fine. Watch faces. And, <laughs> and really if I had to pitch them, I'd say, don't put that one off. Don't leave it until you're scraping bottle in the barrel. Cause it's another, like you love app stores, don't you? Like you love to sell things. Uh, people will sell watch faces and you'll get a cut and it will work out great for you. <laughs> like, I don't understand what, you know, maybe they just haven't gotten around to it. I don't know if there's any actual resistance, but if I had to pitch them, I'd say, look, I know this is lower priority and you should definitely work on the other stuff like cellular and always on display first. But eventually, I hope you do get to that. And, I, and you know, I do like this these set of models. I like that all the, the different materials are coming back. But I share Marco's trepidation about the titanium. Because just based on the pictures, you can't tell anything. About it. You have to see it in person to see whether you're going to hate it or like it. We are sponsored this week by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com slash ATP. Enter offer code ATP at checkout to get 10% off. Make your next move with a beautiful website from Squarespace. Squarespace makes it just really, really stupidly easy, embarrassingly easy. It's amazing how easy it is to make websites at Squarespace. You know, it used to be way harder. If you made websites like I did throughout the 90s and the early 2000s and everything, it was a lot of work. It was a full-time job just to be the kind of person who made websites. With Squarespace, you can get websites that are not only as good, but way better than all the stuff I used to make as my full-time job. And you get it done in like an hour, and you, your whole site's done. It's incredible. Squarespace sites, they look professional, they function professionally, and they can look amazing regardless of your skill level. You don't need to be a coder. There's no coding required. All this is backed by intuitive, 
easy-to-use tools. You can get, even get a free domain if you sign up for a whole year. See for yourself just how amazing and easy it is to start a free trial site on Squarespace. Build the site you want to build. No credit card is required for that trial, so you can just build it without giving them a dime. See how it works. See if you like it. Play with it. Tweak the colors. Move the layout around. Put some of your content in. It's just amazing how quickly you're just done. And it looks great, and it works great on all devices, and you can move on to your actual business or your hobby or whatever it is you're making the site for. So start that free trial today at squarespace.com slash ATP. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to go back there, squarespace.com slash ATP, and use offer code ATP to get 10% off your first purchase. That's squarespace.com slash ATP, code ATP. Thank you so much to Squarespace for sponsoring our show. Make your next move with a beautiful website from Squarespace. The iPhone 11. Now, this gets a little weird. So last year, this I guess last year, you had the 10s, the 10s Max, and the 10R. The iPhone 11 replaces the 10R, which is what we all expected. But when when we were listening to it in the keynote, I got my wires crossed a couple times. The iPhone 11. This is the replacement for the 10R. Has an A13. Anodized aluminum and glass. Seems like no writing on the back of it. They touted several times toughest glass ever on a smartphone, including a glass camera bump, uh, which they talked about for a while. Six colors, purple, white, yellow, green, black, and product red. It remains at 6.1 inches. It has haptic touch, spatial audio, a U1 chip with directional airdrop. Uh, They did not release any sort of Apple tile yet. Uh, 30% better face ID, including better angles. And it has two cameras instead of the one from the 10R last year. It has the wide camera, which is f1.8, and the ultra-wide camera, which is f2. something or other. They also are introducing night mode across the iPhone line. This is like night sight or whatever uh, Google calls it. This one deserves a finally. Yeah, that sounds great, and I'm really anxious to try this. Uh, they did a video demo of old muscle cars on salt flats, which I was definitely there for. Loved it. Uh, oh, I should go back a half step. I'm sorry. Night mode, from what I've gathered, does have a live preview, which Android does not do. I have not verified that, but I have I have heard rumblings that that's the case. Yeah, I saw I saw a video of it being done. It does have it does show something on the screen when the, the, the other thing that I saw it was I think it was the MKBHD video. Like you can't turn on night mode. It's it automatically turns on when the light gets dim. So in the Apple room, you had to like put your hand over the phone to like put you know to trip the sensors to make it think it's dark. But once you did that, you could see live a live view of the palm of his hand, you know, in the thing. Anyway, mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't a great demo, but those two features are weird. Like that Apple wouldn't actually have a night mode switch; uh, it would only go on automatically. It's I wonder if it's going to make people not realize it doesn't it doesn't go on automatically. What happens is UI appears. Like, so the UI to turn on night mode appears, but it only appears on the screen when it is dark enough that it is a valid thing to do. It's a little strange. I, I think it's great. I mean, it's it keeps, yeah. if it was something that you had to, like, go specifically turn on that would work totally differently, I feel like people wouldn't know about it. But you do have to turn it on. You have to notice that a new UI blob has appeared on the screen, and you have to tap it to turn on night mode. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm sure it'll work itself out. Like the camera UI, despite it being a little bit wonky, it's so frequently used that people eventually figure it out. I hope people figure it out. Like I, I'm still kind of amazed, and I think we've all seen this in years past of like when they rejiggered the camera UI, and people would be like touching or swiping on the individual words to change modes, not realizing that you could essentially swipe on the entire screen or the whole bottom of the screen to change modes. Like it's not an obvious UI. It's Apple Snapchat basically. 
Right. There's lots of there's lots of non-obvious <laughs> ways you can interact with it, but the obvious way will work. So it's a friendly, it's fairly friendly UI, but the obvious way is also harder than the non-obvious way, which is like you don't realize it, but you can swipe anywhere and you can just jab over here and get this control. Anyway, uh, they've continued to advance that UI, and I think it looks a little bit nicer than it did. But I'm wondering if they're straining against the limits of what you can do in a camera UI. Indeed. Uh, extended dynamic range video at 4K at 60 frames a second. I love that. Before you go past that, mm-hmm. I love that. Because here's, so this is what this means. A lot of people missed this last year. When the iPhone XS and XS Max generation and XR, when those were introduced last year, they added a feature. So the I believe it was the 10 that first added 4K 60. Uh, but then the XS and XS Max and XR, when you were shooting at only 30 frames a second, the sensor was still taking 60 frames a second video, and what it would do would be it would take it would alternate between a high exposure and a low exposure with every frame it captured, and then merge them live into basically almost like an HDR, like so what they're calling extended dynamic range, merge into a video that had more dynamic range because it's basically doing exposure bracketing live with every two frames that it was shooting to take the 4K 60 sensor and make 30 frames a second video. This wouldn't happen, it, because it couldn't, if you were shooting at, at 4K 60. I like to shoot 4K 60, because it looks lifelike, and I have all the resolution, and it's wonderful. And I, I, know, you know, I know it doesn't look right for like cinematic purposes, but for home videos, it looks amazing, because it looks like you're really there, and I love it. And so I love shooting 4K 60, but I was always like torn between, like, should I go change it and toggle it off when I'm, like, when there's like, when I'm like shooting video in the sunset? when I want more dynamic range, you know? And because you had to choose with the 10s generation, you had to choose, like, do I want 60 frames a second or do I want nice dynamic range? And with the, with the 11 generation now, they have removed the need to make that choice. It seems like what I'm, I'm guessing, the way it's implemented, I'm guessing the sensor is just running at 4K 120 the whole time and outputting 4K 60. But whatever it is, you can now do 4K 60 with that, with the extended dynamic range, however they're doing it, they didn't really say how this how this is achieved. But the way they were talking about it makes it sound like that's what this is, um, and so that's a great thing for me because in the same way that when 4K 60 finally came out with the 10, I no longer had to choose with every video: do I want high resolution or high frame rate? I could have both. Now with the uh, with the 11. I don't have to choose, do I want good dynamic range or do I want 4K60? Now I can have both, and that's really cool. Yeah, I'm super excited for this because I'm rocking an iPhone 10 as is Aaron. Uh, you know, it seemed imprudent last year to have just quit my job and then spend a whole bunch of money on hardware. But now that I know I am not yet in the poor house, I'm going to put myself in the poor house with all of this new Apple hardware. Well, you're not getting an 11, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You get an 11 Pro, right? Oh, I'm sorry. No, I misunderstood. So you're already yes, confusing yes, yes, yes. yourself again. I am. I am. I'm telling you. I don't know what my deal is. Can we take a moment to appreciate what Apple has done here? This is really something. They, you know, when the 10 came out, it was like, this is the phone that you should get if you care about iPhones. This is amazing. And this is the new, because, you know, there used to only be one new phone every year that you would want to get. Uh, you know, it came in two sizes for a while, but like there was like one good flagship iPhone that came out every year. And then when when the 10 came out, they had this weird thing with the 10 and the 8. And then with the when the 10s came out, they had the thing with the weird thing with the 10s and then the 10r. And the 10r and the 8 were both kind of like here's the low end one. That's the afterthought after we spent all the attention on the nice big new one. 
people don't like buying the afterthought. It, it isn't it isn't a great feeling to go into the store and be like, well, there's the one I actually want, but it's too expensive, so I'm going to buy the cheap one. Um, Apple had to make the cheap one sound good again. And what they did here, I think, was masterful in, like, it isn't some, like, secondary name. It isn't, like, the iPhone special, the iPhone C, like, you know, nothing like that. Like, it's it's just, this is the iPhone 11. There's also the Pro over there, but this is the iPhone 11. And it is the new 10R. It is the new, I, I say cheap, but, you know, it's lower end, I guess. It's the it's the uh, the less expensive phone. It's, it's the, the phone that's at the price that the expensive phones used to be. <laughs> but by they, they really very hard positioned the 11 as this is the regular one. This is the one you should probably buy. And I think that's really smart because it reflects what the market really wanted, which is like, okay, you made these super expensive ones at the high end. That's nice for, you know, for the nerds and the rich people, but for everyone else, like, we don't really want our phone to cost that much. We'd rather have this other one. So they they marketed the 11 series in such a way that doesn't make all those buyers feel bad about what they're going to buy. It makes the 11 the default choice instead of trying to make the expensive one the default and then having people say, ooh, I, that's too expensive, cut it down for me. You know, now it's like we're going to come in at the at like the quote regular price of the seven hundred dollar ish range that, that these now sit at again and say, all right, the 11 is the default phone. You shouldn't nobody should feel bad about choosing the 11. It's great. It's the new iPhone, period. And also we have these other ones over here. But the 11 is the new <laughs> iPhone, period. I think they did a pretty good job with the 10R and 10S. Like obviously the 8 was the, you know, also ran silly. Like it was so clear that it was the lesser phone. But the 10R uh, and the 10S like both of them are modified neither is just the 10 they both have a letter obviously the letter is one one earlier in the alphabet for the lesser phone right but the the important thing about them uh, was that they had essentially the same like the same system on a chip like it wasn't like a last year's cpu gpu combo it wasn't you know like it was it was lesser so it could be lower priced and it had one letter less but the insides didn't make you feel like you were buying like an iphone 8 and I think that experiment of having them both be equally adorned, they both had a letter after them, was to figure out, you know, because the 8 is like, whatever, you know, we know the deal with the 8, and it was it totally looked different, didn't have the, you know, had touch ID and all that stuff. Or that, that's not much of an experiment. This experiment was, which one will people actually buy? And, and I think the consensus is that the 10R sold really, really well. And so that gives them the confidence to do this move this time. It's like, all right, no more suffixes. And the completely unadorned one is the default, and that's the 10R. Why? Because we know people love that phone. We know because they bought tons of 10Rs, right? And the same strategy. They're not, it doesn't have a lesser system on a chip. It's got the A13, right? It has one fewer camera, LCD instead of all. It's, it's the 10R formula all over again. It is just graduated to now. Now there is a distinction in games. One name is unadorned, and the one that's unadorned is not the fancy one. It's the slightly less fancy one. So I think, like, it's trial run and then 10R was just to see what, you know, because for all we knew, the 10R could have been a dud. And it was like, oh, no, everyone wants the 10S because the world, like, magically detects that that one's better. Or it could have even been that people prefer the 10S because it's a smaller size, which is a thing a lot of people forget, but it is. Or maybe they like the bigger one. And I feel like the people have spoken with their wallets, and what they've said is, we love the 10R, and so now it gets to be the iPhone 11. And I think that's fine, even though I think it's slightly too big for me. Yeah. Uh, we also should mention that, it has the return of the quick take camera, which I'm sure John has thoughts about. Uh, that is when you take video, it used to be that 
to to do a burst, you would tap and hold on the shutter, and it would just click, 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 and generate a, you know a mile long burst, which if you have small kids, you know happens all the time. Now, instead, if you tap and hold, you'll get a video, which I think is really great, actually. And nobody really knew if burst mode died or not, but apparently, I believe it's if you swipe left, you get burst mode. So you tap and hold and swipe left or it's something Snapchat. like that. Snapchat. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. Uh, but yeah, quick take is back, John. You excited? Yeah, I think I missed that. Did they actually intercap it just like the digital camera? I don't I know. They even see in the notes it's not intricate, but yeah, they can they can reuse names. No one remembers the quick take cameras. Come on, uh, and they weren't good anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> Fair enough. They also said uh, faster Face ID, Wi Fi six, whatever that means, and it starts at seven hundred bucks. This is a really compelling phone, and I got to tell you, my mom has a ten R. And I, I think you said it a minute ago, John, it's a little too big for me. I'm not entirely in love with the the 10S slash 11 Pro regular size version. I, even, I, I think that's even a little too big for me too, but it works. The 10R is definitely too big for me. But that said, what a great and compelling phone for any normal person who doesn't like setting money on fire. I really think that, as you guys had talked about earlier, this is the correct default choice. And only if you really, really, really have needs, including setting money on fire, should you even consider the 11 Pro. It's $100 less, right? The the the, the 10R started at $799, and this starts at $699? Oh, yeah. Ben Thompson had a really great piece on that. Yeah, it's, it, it actually is cheaper. Yeah, so it is a rare thing that happens. And I, it, it about this phone, like, so it's... Well, the back of the 10R was also glass, right? But this it has the glass with the the much larger camera bump to fit all the extra cameras. It was kind of weird that the that the the iPhone 11 gets the same size camera bump even though it has one fewer camera in it. But anyway, um, that whole idea of like carving out the glass on the back to handle the bump is, I think, a they're coming with with more and more clever ways of sort of minimizing the the facial blemish that is the camera bump. Right. It's like you you want it's going to be there. It's like it's like my nose, like it's going to be there. But makeup, you can minimize it. Right. If you want to. Um, I think that is successful, at least in the pictures. We'll see how successful it is in real life. But the other thing about this sort of milled from a single thick piece of glass back that I thought they fumbled in the presentation was that their video. I think this was the 11. Uh, the video for it was showing the 11 getting chucked into people's purses and getting things spilled on it and falling off of tables and all sorts of stuff that was talking about the durability. But they didn't, they didn't like, they didn't back that up as part of the presentation. Yeah. They mentioned toughest glass, whatever, but like, it was just sort of a drive by, like is the pitch that the iPhone 11 is substantially more durable than the 10 R how much more durable and why? I think that would be a great pitch because people break their phones all the time, especially ones that are made of glass and they could lean into this and say, yeah, we continue making them out of glass. And you know why? Because it's incredibly tough, and this phone is even tougher than before, and like put some numbers behind it, but they didn't. They were just they just went with the advertising thing of like, look, if we show you the phone being jostled and dropped, or like again, put it in the purse with a bunch of other stuff like your keys and whatever that are scratching up against it. Is it more scratch resistant? Is it going to get scratched up? Is it more scratch resistant than these similar glass phones? Like, what are you what are you trying to say here? Like, they made that video, but then they didn't back it up. Uh, I'm hoping that the truth is that it is more durable than the 10R was. I think glass is pretty good in terms of scratch resistance. That's why they make the screen out of it and making the back out of it is a good idea. I have no idea how it's going to do in terms of shattering. Like they, they showed it being dropped by a little robot, but they didn't put any numbers behind it. And I felt like that was a missed opportunity um, because I, you know, I think this is the 11 is a great phone. I think it has 
all the things. I think it looks nice and fancy. I think the things that it's missing are things that most people probably don't care about and probably shouldn't care about. And I think despite it being a size that Casey and I are not into, it's probably the right size for most people because people seem to like really big phones. Setting aside the always angry and untapped world of people who want smaller phones, uh, this iPhone 11 is, looks like a great phone. Yeah, I really agree. We'll get to the Pro in a second, but honestly, for the for the 11 and the 11 Pro, I think these are very impressive phones. And I I like the colors of the 10R better, but I'm happy to see them change up the color scheme from year to year. If they want to go for a more pale pastel thing with a you know the frosty camera bump and the the glossy back on the 11, you know, fine, that's good for this year. We'll change up next year. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the colors are quite as good. I agree with you there. But I, I do like that there are a bunch of colors for these phones. And I, and I do wish, even as someone who has literally never bought any phone other than black for himself, I, I do wish that the most fancy models had more colors, which we'll talk about basically right now. Okay, iPhone 11 Pro, this is what I will be getting. Uh, the, the line that I copied down in the notes, which I think is verbatim, this is from Phil Schiller. Who, this is for people who want the best product made even if we are not a pro, which I don't really care for the pro name because I think it, it means so many different things in so many different cases to Apple. But I thought that was a pretty good way to pitch it. So I'm kind of on board with that. Most of this is the same with the 11. The difference is the color. Which it's not the same is, with the 11. It's the same with the 10s. Well, sure. Because right, it's totally it's this is this is another source of confusion. People, some people were adamant that the iPhone 11 Pro was the same size as the 10R because they're close enough and it's hard to see in pictures, right? So this, the the 10R is more or less the same size and shape as the iPhone 11, and the 10S is more or less the same size and shape as the 11 Pro. This will all be much easier next year with the 12s, and they, when we presumably go into a more sane numbering scheme. But but yeah, this is the construction of this phone is very much like the 10S. The thing that they share, I guess, is the frosted glass back. Yeah, the, what, what I was trying to say is all the features are more like the 11, but that was very ambiguous of me. Yes, this is physically far more like the 10s, but the feature set is you know almost exactly the same as the 11. So the difference between the 11 and the 11 Pro, uh, the color, which extends into the cam- camera bump on the 11 Pro, midnight green, space gray, silver, and gold. I don't really, uh, on my list of favorite colors, you know, green is not high up on this list, but man. How do you feel about midnight green? It's not regular green. Who had green on the bingo card? Like, if you had to to pick, like, all right, on the high-end phones, they're going to introduce one new color. What's it going to be? Who the hell would have ever picked dark green? So so I I think someone, what I had heard is, is that this is a popular color in China. So obviously we don't know that. But if that maybe someone who knew more about uh, the current phone scene in China or Chinese culture could have predicted that because uh, usually there's usually one phone that's like the China color. Like that's you're like what is <laughs> yeah. what is popular with the country with like billions of people in it. It totally makes sense for them to cater to that. And when something is inexplicable to us in the U.S., I think maybe it's something, you know, and I don't know if that's true. We'll find out and you know, someone will send us follow up or whatever. But once I heard that, I'm like, oh, that makes total sense. This, this is not for you. so i've heard from people that have seen it in person that it is very similar to british racing green which a lot of people uh Mm. even outside britain have hey this is what i'm being told this from people who've seen it uh people even outside britain have a lot of affinity for that i gotta tell you 
I'm a little worried about the pre-orders being sold out of green immediately because, oh my God, I I want the green. I am not even kidding. This will you be the do? first time. I've been Absolutely. trying to talk my wife out of the green. Let me tell you why. Right. Oh, it's not that I have anything. This for me. It's not that I have anything against the green, but maybe maybe it doesn't apply to you. But here, so I mentioned this in the notes, and this is true of the 11 and the 11 Pro that the color is basically what we're talking about. The color is on the back because the front has no color. It's like an edge to edge screen, and then you know the, the color is basically the back and the sides, the the back case thing. All right, and on both of these phones, because it's a, a single piece of glass that they shaved down to make the camera bump, the camera bump is the same color as the rest of the back of the phone. If you're going to put a case on this and you choose midnight green, now you kind of have to deal with the fact that there's going to be a fairly large square on the back of your phone that's going to be substantially midnight green. And that's not a neutral color. Now, I know the green is very subtle and it barely looks green, but I'm just saying from a fashion perspective, getting your phone in a neutral color, (laughs) it's a lot easier to accessorize. You can have my wife. My wife has multiple, multiple cases. She's got a red case. She's got a purple case. She's got a peach case. If you get a silver phone or a black phone, you can put any of those colors on it and it goes. If you get a midnight green phone, as much as you may love that peach case, how do you feel with a with a pale green lump sticking out of it in the corner? Well, okay, first of all, if I were to get a case for this, which I might go back to being caseless, caseyless, we'll see what happens. Hey, hey. But if I if I go with a case for this, it will either be the clear case or a black leather case where I don't think that'll so you know, be neutral with the case. You don't have I guess if you don't want to accessorize with uh fun cases and you're just going to get a neutral case then mm-hmm. i suppose then you're just left with a, a kind of an ugly green phone but <laughs> I don't, well, see but i i think it looks having never seen it in person mm-hmm, apple yeah. i would love to go to the store tomorrow and see it hint hint uh but having not seen it in person it looks really good to me and so i will be ordering uh midnight green for myself unless it's sold out instantly like jet black was in which case i'll just get black like i always or space gray as i always do yeah. H- having not seen these in person i'm always attracted to the the one the white one that's not white they always, whatever they call it, silver, like it, but it always looks white in Apple's photos. What do they call it? They call it silver. Silver, silver. yeah. Right. I, they have made white phones in the past. The iPhone 4 was white and everything. I kind of like that look, and I almost bought my 10s in that color, but the, the 10s, like the silver, was kind of like, I don't know, like uncooked shrimp color. Like it was just kind of like pale, translucent, grayish, and I couldn't pull the trigger on it. But the in Apple's publicity shots, once again, the silver looks really cool and white. I'll have to see what it looks like. I'm not getting this phone anyway. Do I care? But, uh, <laughs> but that, that that's the, that's the phone that stood out to me. But I do definitely also want to see them in person because I want to feel the uh, the frosted glass. We're getting reports that it that it feels good from the people who are there. Uh, but it's kind of you know I'm thinking of Marco and his grippy uh, polished iPhone Seven that he used without a case. I don't know how I can imagine Matt being more slippery than that grippy one. But I guess we'll all have to just you know hold them and find out. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to this few things number one i'm i did get the silver slash white one uh for the 10s and and the 10 before that and i like it a lot uh the reason i, I got it in the first place on the 10 is that it, it was a combination of factors number one was that i like the the shiny silver band around the sides better than like the black band on the space gray one and i also just think like the the space gray 10 series phones just look really just like here's a blob of black like the front is black, the sides are black, the back is black. It's all just a big blob of black. And it, it, I, I feel like the, this industrial design looks better when you have the contrast of that shiny edge to the black screen to a light back. I, I just think it looks better that way. Um, that being said, 
I, I will say to you know to Casey, I encourage you to get the green. Go bold. Get get the new color because look, <laughs> it's not a bold green though. I know it really isn't. I mean, if you want to go bold, get get the 10R. Actually, <laughs> it's much much more bold. And I don't mean the 11. I mean the 10R. Uh, but anyway, we nerds look again. I'm one of you here. Like <laughs> I'm speaking with you, not at you. Uh, we tend to default to just black everything. We're obsessed with black. Black mode, dark mode, black shirts, black cars, all this stuff. Black everything. Black phones. Black iPads. In in the last couple of years, I started buying the light ones again, and I kind of like it. I feel like I, I was. I'm like tired of black. There's too much black everywhere. Everything I am as a nerd, it, it's always black. I bought a red car a few years ago. I love it. I now I bought. I'm buying white phones. I love those. I look at the MacBook Air and I'm like, wow, the gold one looks pretty good. Like, <laughs> it's like uh, let's not go too far. I, I encourage <laughs> you all out there, from 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 Casey to the audience, John, you're hopeless. But from from Casey to the audience, <laughs> I, w- I was making the exact same pitch. I'm not hopeless. I encourage all of you, get a color. Don't just get black. Just mix it up sometime. Get the gold if you like the gold. Uh, you know, who knows? Just everything in your entire life doesn't have to be black. I, I understand as a nerd, a, as a fashion challenge nerd especially, that black is a safe choice. You can buy black and you can know I'm never going to have a mismatched case color like what John was just talking about. I'm never going to have a fashion faux pas. I'm never going to mismatch. Black goes with everything. Yes. But, but, but yeah, but th- there was it was a way for you to be able to get a bold colored case because that's how people uh, accessorize and express themselves. So you can get a bright purple or a green or yellow and you and you can get multiple cases, which is the thing my wife does. She has multiple cases and they're all very bright colors and she uses them all. I'm saying if you get a neutral phone, you are free to express yourself with the boldest possible colors. Whereas if you get a green phone, some of those bold colors are going to look gross with your cool case. That's fair. I would I would say if your move is to let the case be your color, I would say either go with silver, which is the one I have, you know, the white phone, because then you have the nice neutral silver band and you, the little bit of it that you see poking out the bottom of most cases uh, looks nicer. Or get gold. Because you can, the gold matches cases in a in a cool, different way. Not every color case will look good with it. Yeah, it's it's, it's more limiting than neutral, but but it, but it's much better than green in terms. Of you can accessorize with gold because she's got a gold watch and she has lots of bands, and lots of bands do look good with the gold watch. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, I would just encourage you all get some color. If if you're gonna get a case, as most people will, which is it, it's funny, like you know we <laughs> we we all have so much you know focus on the colors here, but the reality is. 99.9% of these phones are going to go right into cases and never see the light of day. Like I like I I've been back on my 10s ever since I switched from shorts to pants for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I've been back into caseless mode and uh in shorts it just slides out too easily in the pockets, but but in pants I can do it. And so I I I've been caseless for a little while now and I like it a lot and I I I'm looking around the world and I'm noticing like how many other phones with no cases do I see in the world? And I swear it it's close to zero it's it's it might it might be zero like i'm looking around like unless i'm hanging out with john gruber or an apple staffer like, <laughs> there's like there's no case no one is using phones without cases out there uh it, it, effectively no one you know it, it might be more than zero but it's not it's basically zero and so actually what matters more is like the, what color case do you put on it uh and most people aren't even using apple's cases and most non-apple cases cover the bottom of the phone as well 
<laughs> and just have like little cutouts yeah. for the speakers. Yeah, those and, are the worst. Yeah. I do see a lot more clear cases, though. Have you seen a lot more clear cases? Not just Apple, but like an Android phones and everything. I see more clear cases, and I'm glad Apple's getting into that because that's the way to have your cake and eat it too. But, you know, make a bold phone color and then put a clear case on it. You can let your uh, your bold color show. I think it dims the bold color a little bit as opposed to having a very bright case. And I, I have to give this pitch for Apple's uh, silicone cases in very bright colors. They look amazing. Like there's still the aging factor and that some of them, if you get like a white one, it's going to look amazing for the first week and then not so much after that. But the really, you know, really strong purple and really bright red, those things look great. Yeah. And I would also say to all of you nerds out there, when you do select a case, don't just get the black Apple case. I, I oh, it, That's what I do every year. I know. But you, you're missing out. Like having a brightly colored phone is fun and we all deserve to have some fun sometimes. Indeed. So I am all in on the Midnight Green. Uh, Marco, what are you going to be doing? Because you will be buying one of these. I'm going white again, slash silver. Um, I, yeah. I, for all the reasons I said, I, I like it a lot. I, I respect the green as a choice. It's not for me. Um, and for most of the pictures, the green looks very similar to the space gray. Um, like in, in like how dark and relatively unsaturated it is. And and like from pe- from what from what people are saying who are in the hands on, they basically they say the similar thing of like it's very similar to space gray. Um, and so, for all the same reasons, I don't want space gray. I don't want the green either. Um, I, I would love. I I some I really hope someday they make a product red high end phone because I like I, I think the red 10R looked fantastic. And I haven't seen the red 11 yet, but it probably also looks fantastic. I would love a red phone. Red is my color. If I'm gonna have a color, it's gonna be red. Uh, but unfortunately it's not it's not available yeah uh this so these come in two models the iphone 11 pro the 5.8 inch and 6.5 inch which is called pro max again i don't love these names but i understand them we talked about that a lot last episode so i don't think there's too much to go into here uh no 3d touch which bums me out uh i i might be the only person that that uses 3d touch and likes it a lot for peak and pop among other things so we'll see what uh this whole haptic touch thing is all about i know a lot of you have lived with it already but i have not it's a long press yeah i mean i'm sure it'll be fine i'm bummed about not being able to move the cursor quite so easily on the keyboard or at least or maybe i just don't understand it yet we'll see what happens when i get the phone well i think i think you long press the space bar now right is that yeah something like that i mean and honestly like that's i think that's fine like 3d touch has always been a little problematic not only you know people people always like try to speculate like what what do normal people think what what can normal people understand and not understand but I won't. I don't even need to go there. I had a hard time with 3D Touch all the time. I so often accidentally invoke it or can't get it to invoke right, and it interferes with so many things. It interferes with like you know holding down for long press menus on links in Safari. It hold it interferes with moving icons in jiggle mode. Like there's so much around the OS and and in apps that 3D Touch just gets in the way or delays. And so many invocations of 3D Touch for me over the years have been accidental or have failed. I can't even imagine what normal people are going through if I, as like a, a, a fairly you know, dexterous expert on how these platforms works, or how these platforms work, I, 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 even I mess it up tons of, of the time. I can't even imagine you know, how the rest of the iPhone population uh, does with it. So I think removing it is probably the right call. And that they probably found like, you know what, most people aren't using this, or at least they're they're not they aren't intentionally using this, and they don't understand it, and it's too error prone and it gets in the way and it's, it makes conflicts and it, it makes everything actually harder to use for most most of the time. So 
I think it's uh, it's the right move to remove 3D touch. It was a cool idea. It was fun as a few little shortcuts here and there. Ultimately, we're probably not going to miss it much. I think even I won't miss it. I think I'll get used to the new world. But uh, sitting here now, I feel like I'm going to miss it, and that and it just bumps me out. But I would like to hear the tell-all book about the decision because we know there's also a technical aspect of this. Like it's like you need sensors to do, to do like the the you know the pressure sensitivity right and. Apparently, it was hard to put them on the iPads because the screen would flex or whatever. So there is that angle of it. But, you know, uh, at, at the, the Marco's point, there's also the metrics. I'm sure they measure how much people use 3D Touch. And, you know, I, I've not seen people using it that much. So I bet it didn't get much usage. And it was an engineering, not difficulty, but another thing you had to deal with engineering-wise. And it was potentially a semi-permanent difference between iPads and the iPhones. So all of that combines to say no, but I would love to know what the ratio is. Like, was it mostly an engineering decision about sensors in the screen or was it mostly that nobody's using it? And the reason I'm thinking about that is because I think about, you know, Marco just explained like the reasoning of why you would think it was good to get rid of it. I'm thinking about the touch bar. Uh, how many people use the touch bar and how easy is it to use and what benefits does it provide? Because Apple could go the other way and say, not enough people are using 3D touch. We need to push it harder. We need to revise the APIs. We need to integrate it into more parts of the system because we need to let people know how awesome 3D touch is and then we need to get them to use it more. That's not the approach they took with 3D touch. Kind of the approach they took with the touch bar, which is it's going to be in our laptops. You're just going to deal with it and we're going to still tell you that you need to support it in your apps albeit in a slightly more half-hearted way than they've done with other technologies. So I was wondering, like, how do they decide which of their technologies are taking off? What criteria do they use to decide we're going to keep pushing this? We think it has legs. We think it's just a matter of education. Or we're just going to back off and say a combination of factors tells us that we're, you know, the 3D touch experiment has ended and it's going away now. I think it's a combination of, of three things, right? It's that Nobody uses it. It's the inconsistency between iPhone and iPad, like you said. And it is a sensor that adds both thickness and cost. And I think the three of those things put together would cause any, you know, any smart engineering team to say, eh, is this really worth it? You can say the same thing about the touch bar. Yeah, well, fair, fair. Yep. But I, I would bet you the usage of the touch bar is far higher than the usage of 3D Touch, which pains me because I love 3D Touch. But again, I think I'm the only one. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, for one thing, you can see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that yeah. helps a lot. Yeah, well, think about how much more accidental usage it gets. That's <laughs> People also brushing it with their true. fingers <laughs> and act- activating Siri because they don't know how to customize it to get rid of that stupid thing. Yeah. All right. So the 11 Pros have spatial audio, and I am happy to announce that to match your forthcoming monitors, gentlemen, you have Super Retina XDR. This is one case where Apple's marketing just totally threw me for a loop in, in the moment. Because I'm like, what? like I, I took it too seriously. And I shouldn't have. Like, sometimes the marketing terms mean something, and sometimes they don't. And they even, I think, they made reference to the Mac Pro display. And it's like, what What do you mean? Like, at first I thought, so it's not OLED anymore? Because everything about the big cinema display XDR thing is all about like controlling uh, advanced control of a dynamic backlight with clever gating of that backlight to provide high contrast, but control over the leak. Like it's all about LCD technology. OLEDs don't have a backlight. So what are you, what are you even talking about? I'm like, Oh my God, they got rid of the OLED. Uh, maybe the, like the liquid <laughs> retina display on the 10 R was so good that they, the flagship phone now has an LCD and, and, and they're saying it's XDR technology. Cause here's the thing about the, the cinema display XDR. That technology works. Like, it's used in reference displays. It's increasingly used in televisions that are in the planning stages or very high-end televisions that you could buy now. Uh, it actually has advantages over OLED. 
but it's also really hot, really thick, and really expensive. I'm like, but they couldn't have put that in a phone. But the reason I entertained it at all is was like, oh my god, they found a way to take the technology from the Cinema Display XDR and squish it into a phone, and now it's like the best of both. No, it's just an OLED screen. They just put the letters. <laughs> they just put the letters on the end of it because it's the same letters they used before. XDR means nothing. It doesn't mean 10R, 10DR. It doesn't mean 10 Doctor. It's just. <laughs> A marketing thing for a better OLED than they had last year, which is fine, but boy, I was definitely thrown for a loop for a period there during this uh, presentation. But there is one consistent part of it. The iPhone 11 Pro does not come with a stand. (laughs) The stand is your hand. Well done. All right, so the Super Retina XDR uh, it does not have promotion. It's 1,200 nits, P3 wide color, HDR10, Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos. It's OLED, uh, and it's apparently very uh, durable, but we don't really know in what ways. Yeah, they, they, they again mention the durability. Like, oh, it's the most durable screen we made. No, I bet it is. <laughs> they, you know, the durable, like, because you know, they did run that whole video, that little ad for yeah. the for the phone, like, and they and d- durability was a huge focus of that, like, but so it was. I thought it was interesting how little they actually talked about durability. Yeah, so same thing with same thing with the eleven. Like, I felt like there was a disconnect. They they had they had the the content, they had the media for it, but they didn't have they didn't have the spoken pitch. They didn't they didn't even say you know how much more durable, twice as durable, ten times as durable. The the typical Apple thing would be to find one particular test. Like in our drop test, it's it, it could be dropped from twice as high and not mention any other tests. Like what about your bend test? What about your twist test? What about your crush test? Like just pick one test that it does better on and give us a number, and we'll you know anyway we'll all find that when we use these phones. I've I'm not a phone breaker, so I don't know how durable the 10s is compared to any past phones, uh, but. These things will go out into the real world and we'll find out. I'm hoping that, you know, when they say it's more durable, I'm sure that's pretty, ne- you know, net-net of all the things they do to, to test their phones, that this one is more durable. But in various times, they have changed the characteristics. Of them. We talked about it with the screen. Like, if you make the screen softer, it's less likely to shatter, but more likely to get fine scratches on it. And they've swung that needle in various directions does this change the equation is this is this going more towards a harder screen that shatters more or going even farther in the softer screen that that nicks but doesn't shatter i don't know we'll we'll all find out when we get them in our hands but apple was not very forthcoming but they like i the thing the reason it frustrated me is this is a fruitful angle a fruitful avenue for advertising this is this is a thing that resonates with users everybody drops their phones everybody like breaks them like apple should be leaning on this heavily they just need to have a stronger pitch than a vague. Eh, it's pretty durable. Like it's not. It's not strong. <laughs> All right. So uh, much better performance, particularly in machine learning, and way better low power design. I really did like, and no joke, the like mini WBDC engineering session about how they got this low power design. I thought it was really, really, really cool. Um, I don't know. I was assume I was going to breeze past this but i assume john you're gonna have some thoughts about it so yeah, no i mean like they they were what they were saying was sort of like a high level version of all the same talks that intel and all the other you know desktop chip manufacturers have been giving for years albeit in a more advanced form i'm sure of like this is how you make chips power efficient you got to only use the parts of it that you're using and only run them as fast as they need to run and it's very complicated like the desktop thing went from like we run the whole chip at the same speed all the time forever as a starting point and then it was like okay but now we occasionally slow the whole chip down and then speed the whole chip up. And now we can speed up and slow down two different sections of the chip and it just keep getting finer and finer and finer grained. And their explanation is like, this is the state of the art. Like we, at, at a very low level, we are just barely giving power to 
the things that we need to run right now and clocking them just as high as they need to be clocked. And it's all fiendishly complicated. And like, I, I think the summary thing to say here, and I've seen, I've seen some people waffling on this and I don't understand how people are waffling. Apple has the best system on a chips of any phone manufacturer. They have had the best ones for years and years. They are dominating the industry in such an embarrassing, ridiculous way that it's not even a question. If anybody says, oh, I kind of believe Apple's claims they have the best chips. Are you kidding me? The, these chips in their phones are so far ahead of anybody else in the industry, it's not even funny. That I mean, you can lose your lead, just look at Intel. But for now, let's just say that Apple is, at the very least, maintaining their lead, which is substantial, if not extending it. So, you know, good chips, as always. Uh, there's a fast charger in the box, which is the 18-watt version and is is this the exact same one that comes with the iPad Pro? So it's USB C out. I believe so. I mean, it's it has the same specs. It looks the same, so it's probably the same one. It, it is it is probably the 18 watt power charger that came with the iPad Pro as of this past fall. Has a USB C to Lightning cable, uh, which is you know finally right. Like I, I'm disappointed that the entire phone isn't USB C as we discussed last episode, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm at least very happy there. They took this baby step towards it. You know, the 18 watt charger is a substantial step up from the five watt charger and the, and even the 10 watt, you know, iPad ones. Uh, you do need USB-C, I believe, to uh, to reach those. I don't I don't think US, the USB-A specs allow that much power, at least not except not without going to like the weird like fast charged Qualcomm things. Maybe I don't know, but uh, the, the, the regular ones don't. Uh, so that's probably why they want USB-C. I'm just happy. I, the, the, the faster we can get to a USB-C world w- in the charging area, the better, because it really is way better than A for that. I, I wish the whole phone went C, but oh well. The 11 doesn't get it, which is kind of disappointing. Right, only the Pro, which, I, I mean, that's kind of a stupid little thing to be different, uh, yeah. if I'm honest. Like, it's, it, it's not a, I don't think it's a significant cost difference. Uh, it might be some kind of weird market segmentation thing. I don't know. It just, it's kind of a weird thing. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I am excited for it. Uh, no reverse wireless charging. We had heard lots of rumors he'd be able to either charge AirPods or charge even another phone uh, from your phone. Turns out that didn't ship. There's rumors that we heard that it got pulled at the last minute. I have no idea if that's true or not, but you know, it is what it is. That see, I don't even care about that either. Like that, yeah, I don't either. Usually, the last thing I want to do is give up some of my phone's battery life. Yeah, like I don't know a lot of people who go around with so much extra phone battery life all the time that they're willing to charge other devices with their phone, even low-power things. I would use it. Of course you would. <laughs> I've, but I've no got normal human. Pa- <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, I've got excess pa- power on my phone, and I very often I carry sort of a combination. I carry my AirPods and my phone with me kind of in the same pocket, and sometimes I'll put the phone down, and I'll take the AirPods out and put them in the case, and I put the AirPod case on the back of my phone, which is face down, but they don't charge. But they could. <laughs> you know, because the, the 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 battery in the AirPod case is so tiny. I know it's it's not like the Apple Pencil, but it's close. Like, yes, it would take power from my phone, but I've got I've got a square to spare for that little guy. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I agree with you, Marco. I don't think I would use this for AirPods because my AirPods are extremely rarely that discharged. I could see myself using this in a pinch with another phone. Like, let's say I'm out with Erin and her phone is at 20% and mine's at 80% or something like that. 
I could see maybe doing you know a, a phone to phone transfer, if you will, a, a juice transfusion, I guess, uh, between the two. But I, I don't think I would use this for much else. But you know, I'm, uh, it, it doesn't bump me out that it's not there. But I'm sure I'd like it if it was. Like thinking about like the practical side of it too. Like there's a number of issues with bidirectional charging. Like I think this is why it's kind of a gimmick so far in the Android world, and it's not really you know taking off. First of all, Qi charging is not very efficient. So it's not like you know if you have the same phone and yours is at eighty percent and your wife's is at 40%, and you put them together, they're not going to meet in the middle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're going to spend a lot more of yours to charge hers up a little bit, you know, because it's not anywhere near 100% efficient in, in the transfer or, you know, or the battery itself, charging itself. Like, all these, all these processes have losses, especially the, the chi part of it. There's, that's a pretty big loss on that. So, like, you, you have, it's, it's inefficient, it's also slow, and it, during the part that it's charging, like, for the most part, it's going to immobilize both of the things that they're involved here. So like if you imagine the scenario of like, Oh, my watch is low for the day. I will charge my watch with my phone. Okay. Well, you got to set the phone down, set the watch exactly across the back of it to make sure it's exactly centered, let it charge. And then you have no phone and no watch for the next, what, 20 minutes at least like it's going to take a while to give it like a meaningful charge like that will actually get you very far through the day right you know similar thing like if you look at airpods i mean airpods are a little bit better in that you can at least charge the case while they're in your ears like john was saying but still like how many people are going to want their phone to be totally incapacitated and face down you know on whatever surface while it is losing quite a bit of its battery to inefficiently and slowly charge something else like it just sounds not that good and that's like that that alone could be why they seem to have pulled it you know it's it just doesn't seem like it's that useful in practice yeah i don't know why whether it was pulled or whether it was never there to begin with because it was just a rumor but it seems to me that it's the type of feature that they could actually enable with software like the, the the could actually the hardware could be there for it and they could just either never enable it and like so fine we never get it but if they decide oh it's a thing we can do they could enable it in a point update like it could be one of the things that got pulled from point oh or they could just never end up doing it but like it's I don't think phone to phone was it was ever in the cards but like it's for their one exception for the AirPods the battery is very small people put it on the back of their phone already but I'm I don't care that it wasn't there it's just it was widely rumored and it's the type of thing where kind of like the U one which we haven't talked about too much. They didn't talk about the U1 at all, but it's on their slides. They didn't introduce, like, the tile thing that, that keeps track of your stuff. But, like, they basically shipped the hardware for it and apparently shipped most of the software for it. But it's not an announced product or feature at this point, right? So the reverse wireless charging, I'm, I'm binning into that same thing of, like, you don't know that they didn't ship everything except for the software. So stay tuned, I suppose. Mm. Pro cameras. Three cameras in a peculiar-looking uh, camera bump like I, i'm not as deeply offended as some are by the look of this it does not look good the camera bump i don't think uh, it doesn't look as good as the old one but it's grown on me it's more of a camera plateau anyway that's <laughs> <laughs> true i think it's fine like who cares it's fine it's okay we're all, we're all gonna get used to it like yeah, every yeah. every time the camera bump has changed we've there there have been a certain number of us who've been like oh it's so ugly i can't believe they did that who could live with that ugly unsightly camera bump and then like a week later we all forget about it and we all have the phone and it's fine yeah odd numbers are problematic though like when they go to four it will really look like uh, the stovetop that we all wanted it to be <laughs> what they really need to do is start making they really they'll they'll screw up that symmetry or not screw up but like there is an opportunity to make the circles not all the same size i know that like 
that aesthetically that's not great, but optically there may be opportunity for that to happen. Anyway, like let's, we should just be resigned to the fact that the back of our phones is going to increasingly look like the uh, what are they, the Sentinels from the Matrix with a million mechanical eyes. Yeah, yeah. They should start making little face arrangements with them. Yeah, have like a little like smile on the back. Hey, I'm your camera. Well, you do have to kind of like like that's why the bump is the same on the like the, the packaging wise. It's good to be able to kind of say here is the camera cluster because there's also it's not just the cameras. There's also the little flash thingy and the microphone, and you have to find some place to put all this stuff. But uh, but yeah, the the eleven it looks a little spare because like really the same size bump as the pro, but one fewer camera. You got a lot of empty space there. Anyway, but it's fine. So there are three cameras, a wide, which is 26mm f1.8, telephoto 52mm f2, and ultra-wide f2.4, which has a 120-degree field of view. So 13mm, by the way. Oh, sorry. Um, so I have, sitting here now, I have mixed feelings about this. I bet you anything that as soon as I get this, I'm going to think it's amazing. But sitting here now, I feel like if I were to ask for another lens on my camera, it would not be ultra-wide. It would be more zoom because if anything i want to get closer to what i'm trying to photograph not further away from it is this not more zoomed the zoom and like the now middle one are exactly the same all right and now the 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 only thing that's been added is that the wide is now added which so but the other two are exactly the same that they were before. are they literally exactly the same camera and sensor um, the same focal length. That's you know they, that's a good question. They didn't talk much about it. No, they, they, no, they said, did not. They, they said something about like you know we've made. It, it, they said some statement that made it sound like it was it's a minor improvement on the on the main sensor. Well, well, yeah, the front one is a different a different camera because it has a different sen- Well, actually, I can't even say that definitively. The front one now captures more pixels than it did before. I'm assuming it's also a different camera mechanism. Uh, but the back ones, I don't know. They're, I mean, they're probably all like you know revised sensors of some mm-hmm. of some kind. But it seemed like uh, oh, and and the telephoto uh, has a wider aperture now. It's now f two point I forget what it was before, but it was it was not that wide before. So it was like it, they've they've been improved, but it seems like they haven't been improved in massive ways. Uh, the, the main thing is is like the the software changes, the you know things like the night mode, the extended dynamic range video, stuff like that. Like that that's very new. And then also now the ultra wide, uh, which which is interesting. And the deep fusion. This is like so. I think Apple's got a team, obviously, that does their computation photography stuff. And there's sort of one glamour feature each year of this, like portrait mode, as an example. And they seem to be on a cadence that's like three months off of of the September Apple <laughs> phone. It's like just can we just shift? Like I know it's hard to give them a time machine or some kind of stasis capsule because they're they're the cool computation photography thing is always like coming later. It's like oh you just missed it, you just missed it, and they're going to keep just missing it if they take a year to work on the next. Anyway, um, that deep fusion thing looked pretty cool. I'm much more excited about that than I am for portrait mode, which I basically never use and I'm not a fan of because this is just straight up like. When you take a picture with this, you, it shouldn't jump out at you. If it jumps out at you that we did anything weird to the picture, uh, we've not done our job. It's kind of like HDR, where something if you're in the know, you can kind of tell an HDR picture. But the deep fusion thing is, I think, trying to be even more subtle. It's like, it's just going to look like a better exposed picture with more detail, and you're not going to know how we did it. And the answer is how we did it was we used all three of our cameras, and we took a bazillion pictures, and we mushed them all together. And hopefully, as far as you're concerned... You just got one great picture, and you don't have to know how it happened. And that's that's the dream we all want from our phone cameras, which can't physically be as good as a quote-unquote real camera, but computationally, they can try to make up for it. 
Yeah, and there's there's all sorts of tricks to do now that like I think one of the biggest parts of the camera story of all three of these new phones is just how much smarter they're able to be with the software now. And and just and some of you know some of like the under the hood changes that aren't it's hard to really explain. So, for instance, like like they were saying about like the, there was that wonderful demo from Filmic Pro where you're actually shooting from multiple cameras at once. Uh, the um, there was a part that uh, Phil I think was saying about how like when you're when you're zooming between the cameras, like all the lenses are always activated. They're already like primed for autofocus, and auto exposure, and white balance and everything. So that when when it switches when it transitions between two cameras for two, for as you're zooming you don't see the change it just kind of it doesn't jump in it just kind of it's it's already there it seems like they are actually just running all three cameras all the time whenever any one of them is open that's how the deep fusion things is like nine nine images before you press the shutter it's just all cameras are all constantly recording pictures into this giant rolling buffer right and so and when you look at something like that and the whole thing earlier about the extended dynamic range in video where it seems like they're probably going to be shooting 120 frames a second at 4k from all three cameras at the same time like this is an incredible feat of like camera sensor bandwidth and then the image signal processor that's like the 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 the, the pipeline that they that they have here of just dumping out so much pixel data from these cameras all the time that that they're, that they're operating at least you know dumping out all this picture data and then the amount of processing it has to do in real time in a phone is amazing like that that to me is like the biggest part of this story is all this kind of like under the hood stuff that like most people wouldn't even know why that's impressive but even if you know the slightest little bit about how any of this works you're like wait a minute that means they're reading all three sensors dumping off like 4k 120 of all of them and processing all of that live like it's crazy and it's it's really you know quite something else to to think about like all that they're doing here to achieve this so like and i think that's why they went into a little bit like th- why they called out some of the things like how the cameras are all active as you zoom like they w- they want to call that out because like otherwise we'd never know this stuff or we'd never think about this stuff and we wouldn't appreciate it but like if you're if you're like a camera nerd or, or like just a, a data processing nerd and you hear this you're like whoa that's actually that's pretty impressive <laughs> so in 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 real terms like it's just going to mean the camera is more invisible like we are not going to constantly be hit over the head as users of these cameras how awesome they are it's just going to work nicely and we are going to have zero zero appreciation for all this work and tech that are going into it as we're using it but it's just going to be it's just going to be nicer and that i think like that's why you know every year i tell myself like maybe i shouldn't get the new phone it's so wasteful my phone is fine and then every year they get me with with the camera stuff they always get me with the camera stuff and this is one of those years by the way they they also say face id is faster and works from more angles and further distance away which that would probably have gotten me alone but <laughs> the fact is these camera improvements even though as we just said like it sounds like the actual sensors themselves on on the the previous two cameras aren't that different although um, uh, someone in the chat reported that the uh, the telephoto before was f2.4. Now it's f2.0. That's a pretty big uh, increase in light coming into it. So the telephoto before, like the telephoto was noticeably worse picture wise before. Now that difference should be a lot smaller. Um, so the telephoto is f2.0. The wide is f1.8. So it's close. I believe that's a half stop down, uh, something like that. So it's it's now 
significantly better on the telephoto end. Uh, and you have this new ultra wide, which again, like Casey, if I had a choice of where to get more zoom range, I would have picked more telephoto zoom range for sure. Uh, I, I would use that a lot more. I, I want more reach so I can take pictures of things further away from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I will use the ultra wide and especially like, like as, as I think, um, I think Jason was saying on upgrade that, that, that rumored feature about how you'll be able to like crop after the fact did actually seem to ship. Uh, you'll be able to like reverse crop out from a wide shot into an ultra wide for some period of time. All the time I take pictures where, oh, I accidentally cut off somebody's feet or something like, and it looks, it looks a little bit wrong. It's like, oh, if I just had a little bit more width, I could, I could fix this picture. This could be a much better picture. And, and so I will actually probably use that a lot. Um, again, I would have preferred telephoto, but that's still pretty cool. So anyway, all this stuff, like this is a massive camera update. Even if you just get the 11 and you don't have the telephoto, it's still a pretty impressive camera update. And the telephoto just adds to it on the, on the Pro. Like, it's just, I think it's great. And that will, like, that unquestionably makes me ignore all my guilt about buying a new phone every year. I just, nope, I'm buying it. I, I, need, I need these camera updates. I also am really amped to get a better camera because I didn't get the 10S as I've mentioned a couple times, and I always slightly regretted it because the cameras were better. And the more cool camera tech that Apple introduces the less excited I am about picking up my quote-unquote big camera. And the reason I still pick up my big camera is because the zoom is much better and because the bokeh bokeh, however you pronounce it, is also much better. And I don't feel like it would serve anyone for us to go on another tangent about portrait mode. But what I will say is, even leaving bokeh aside, all of the pictures that my iPhone takes and has taken for years and years and years now are automatically geotagged. And over time, they're getting better at doing auto aperture setting, auto exposure setting. I will be able to do this, this, what are they, what is it, night sight? Is that right? Uh, where, you know, it, it'll brighten up. It's not right. That's the good name that Google took. It's night trap. Well, in any case, no, whatever they call it, uh, whatever they call it, it I'll be able to see in the dark now. This computational uh, photography stuff is just getting to the point that it's utterly bananas. Uh, what did Phil say? Computational photography, mad science. And it's true. And there's going to come a time, I would guess, in the next couple of years where I might decide subconsciously, yeah, I might not get the perfect bokeh, bokeh, whatever that I want from my phone. But everything else will be so much better that I might just stop picking up my big camera, which stinks because there's some, you know, uh, what was a tea ceremony or whatever we joked about for my vinyl. There's some like tea ceremony stuff with the big camera that I still appreciate. But of course there is. Of course there is. But (laughs) there's so much there's so much about the cameras on these phones that are it's just preposterous. And, you know, the, the YouTuber that hasn't quite died completely within me, but is mostly dead within me, you know, was looking at this filmic demo and just my jaw hit the floor. It was, it looked incredible. Oh my goodness. How cool would it be to get basically two or maybe even three simultaneous cameras shot all at once so I can, you know, ping pong between the, the wide and the, and the not so wide uh, shots. All of that looked amazing. And by the way, quick aside, the filmic employee that was off to the right of the screen, which I think is stage left. So it doesn't matter. Anyway, the guy who was on the right as you watch the video or watch the keynote, I thought he was the most polished by far of the non-Apple presenters. I thought he was great. But anyways, 
all of this camera stuff is getting me to the point that even though I love having a big camera and I love the pictures that that come off of it, you know, I just came back from the beach for a week and that some of those pictures that I was able to take are just truly phenomenal. But there were a lot of pictures that I didn't get because the light wasn't good enough or because it was too dark or whatever the case may be, or maybe I'm just not a good enough photographer, but so much of this I think might be able to be fixed or even synthetically with some of this computational photography, mad science. And, and I am in some ways, I wonder if these improvements are the improvements that will make the most difference in my life. You know, I think if you look at what does an iPhone do for Casey Liss, number one, it lets me communicate with people, but number two, it lets me document my life and my children's lives in a way that is getting ever more impressive with every year. And I think all of us, myself especially, lose sight of that and how important that is and how incredible that is. And and this is not even to get started on the Apple Watch and all the health benefits it's had in my life as well. But just the camera stuff on the iPhone is incredible. And I'm really, really looking forward to getting this three camera setup and seeing what I can do with it. So Marco mentioned before that like the the cameras are, you know, recording all these images all the time. And then you you add the caveat. Well, of course, you know, when the cameras are on, meaning like when the camera app is launched. Uh, And that made me think about this other angle of these phones. You mentioned the Yuan before. uh, And also I mentioned the uh, the A13, the matrix math unit or whatever. Uh, We've had a topic in the notes that we haven't gotten to because there's been more pressing stuff. But I think we'll get to eventually about the AR stuff. So. The, I feel like these these phones are at the point now, and I think there were some rumors about this potentially being uh, features that's used, where even when you're not in the camera app, uh, for the purposes of orienting the phone for its ultra wideband communic- near field, you know, communication with things like all the different sensors that are in this phone, it's got a GPS, it's got a gyroscope, it's got this ultra wideband thing, it's got a bunch of cameras, it's got accelerometers in it. And, you know, and, and the, the, the new matrix math thing, which is, yes, I'm sure useful for lots of other things, but also would be useful for dealing with orientation and telemetry for a head-mounted display. Like, this is another situation where I feel like the hardware for lots of stuff that has not been announced has nevertheless shipped. In, <laughs> when, when, when we get these iPhone 11s, they are ready uh, and capable to do AR w- both with and without a head-mounted display in a much uh, more sophisticated way than even just their predecessors, down to potentially constantly pulling in camera data to help orient. Uh, the one feature I think they ship with this is that, you know, the people were playing with in the demo room is uh, if you airdrop to somebody and they have another one of these fancy iPhones, that the phones kind of know where they are and where they're pointing in relation to each other by, you know, fusing together all their various sensors, including especially the new U1, which is the extra bit that they didn't have before. And so you can kind of point your phone at somebody to airdrop to them and point at a different person. I don't know how it works. I didn't see anyone demonstrating this. Uh, but this is another reason the 11, I, I don't, I, yeah, it's in both of them, right? The U1 is in both of them and the camera, like the, the 11 and the 11 Pro are interesting to me from an AR perspective, even though Apple didn't announce any AR stuff or any AR headset and they didn't announce their tile replacement, they didn't announce any of that stuff. But they kind of shipped it as well. Like even people were pulling apart the headers and saying like all the head-mounted display stuff is actually shipping in the iOS 13 GM. Like they didn't even remove it. It's like (laughs) there's frameworks, there's APIs, there's Starboard, which, you know, is kind of a play on Springboard. It's like kind of the the environment that controls the head-mounted displays. The theory is that Star stands for Stereo AR. Uh, Oh. It's, it's, yeah, like 
it's it's a very strange situation, but like there is another shoe that has to drop. Maybe it won't even drop this year, but uh, you know, if if you it's kind of like buying a Tesla where you think it's going to be automatic self driving. If you get an oh, iPhone eleven, <laughs> if you get an iPhone eleven, it might be like totally ready to do super duper head mounted AR in a way that its uh, previous phones could not do, or maybe not. We'll see. Yeah, it's a really good point, John, and I am. I am interested in a way I don't think I ever have been before in what software updates will come to these devices over the next year or two. Because as you said, it, we don't know, but it stands to reason that a lot of software updates could come to these that enable things that we didn't even realize that the hardware had. Yeah, and that, just setting aside the things they announced, like the whatever that was, the Deep Fusion mode, which they said they're going to do <laughs> iCloud shared folders and all the other stuff that got punted out of 13.0. And we should mention that, by the way. Uh, the the ship dates for the OS stuff. What was it? Um, I think I had it at the bottom. Oh, iOS thirteen is coming September nineteenth, but I'm not sure if that's to everybody. Maybe it only like I, I think they said the iPads will only come with thirteen point one. Anyway, thirteen point one is supposedly coming the thirtieth. Thirteen point oh is coming the nineteenth. Those are the announced dates for those two point releases. What hardware you get and what OS will it will ship with and what OS will be available by the time you get it. We'll see, but this is, we've talked about this before. This is going to be a weird staggered release, and 13.0 is probably going to be a short lived OS in the hearts and minds and hopefully devices of all the people out there. Mm hmm. Uh, let's see what else for these. I was looking at what model to buy because every year we always have the dance of, do you get the AT&T one? Do you get the T Mobile one? There are A2160 and A2161. I was looking through the, the, tech details of like the the LTE bands and this and that and the other thing there's a difference but darned if I know where this is I looked at you know all the FDD LTE bands all the TD LTE bands the CDMA bands etc etc I don't know what the difference is so out of pure curiosity I would like to know if there's any empirical difference between 2160 and 2161 there must be if there's two models but uh you know write me on Twitter if you can tell the difference uh, there will be clear cases for all three models of phones. The 11 Pro starts at 1000 bucks. The 11 Pro Max starts at $1,100. I am... I, I, I'm moved to tears. Pre-orders start at 8 a.m. one true time zone. <laughs> yes! <laughs> we should play We Are the Champions for this. I <laughs> uh, know, seriously. <laughs> I, I, I am being a little bit facetious when I'm clapping and all that, but no, really and truly... The West Coast has had, what was it, midnight, midnight West Coast time for a decade plus. Finally, if there was ever a time for me to use finally, <laughs> finally, this coming Friday at the slightly unfortunate time of 5 a.m. Pacific, but the delightful time of 8 a.m. One True Time Zone, that is when we will be doing pre-orders. Now, of course, I'm going to regret this when I don't get my green because everyone else is going to be awake at that point doing their pre-orders. But sitting here now, I am overjoyed that finally, at a reasonable time for the East Coast, we can do our pre-orders. I am so very excited. Thank you, Apple. This is great news. Finally, in the uh, presentation, uh, Deirdre came up for their for the retail update. Uh, we already talked about the Apple Watch Studios, as they call it. Uh, they talked a bit about Apple trade-in. So they said that the 11 Pro could be as cheap as $600 with an iPhone X trade-in. I put a pretty bad gouge in my screen when I was at the beach by accident. And so I probably would have kept this phone anyway, just because I 
like to have a relatively modern backup. But as soon as I said to them, oh, yeah, there's a kind of big gouge in the screen during the trade in like uh, mock up or, or rough draft or you know, whatever, uh, they were basically like, oh, yeah, that's that's worth nothing. Have fun. Um, like in the movie where you go into like the big biker bar where you aren't one of the people who goes there and like the record scratches and everyone turns and looks at you like that's like, yeah, 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 yeah. oh, yeah, it's my phone is great. But yeah, the screen is damaged. Oh, nope, that's it. <laughs> it's, it's all over, all over. Um, and then they said, so these will ship on the 20th of December, uh, which is the same time as the watches that is, uh, next Friday as we record. Uh, they also made mention that they're doing monthly payments for the, uh, for the new phones, which does not appear to be the iPhone upgrade program. Mind you, this is just a straight up monthly payment. And they also made mention in the retail section that the Apple fifth Avenue cube reopens on that same day. We already talked about the iOS release schedule. One other thing I wanted to quickly mention is that I was looking at the iPhone 10 Pro uh, website on my iPad. Sorry, God, I am a disaster. This is a rough naming transition here. It really is. It's pronounced X Pro. The iPhone X Pro. Uh, I was looking at the 11 Pro website on my iPad Pro, and they had a little link for button or whatever for look at it in AR. I thought, yeah, I'll give. I'm. I don't know what I'm going to discover by this, but yeah, let me look at it in AR. And so, I, you know, I was sitting on my living room floor, and I waved my iPad around, and thankfully, Erin wasn't paying attention because she would have looked at me like a crazy person. But eventually, a iPhone 11 Pro showed up on my living room floor, and I know this is old news to everyone else, but that thing looked incredibly real. And just for grins, I held up my my iPhone 10 next to it, and they were basically identically sized, which is exactly what it should be. It was extremely, extremely cool. I was very impressed. Yeah, it's like the demos that, you know, when we were at uh, WWDC and saw the, like, the Mac Pro demos and everything. The, the thing they added mm-hmm. that at, finally sort of got it over the line of looking looking close to real is the the lighting. The sort of, I don't know which particular thing. It is, some, some form of uh, uh, mostly faked quote-unquote faked global illumination because they can't do the real thing but uh having some kind of global illumination where it reflects the environment back onto the device and there's sort of an ambient diffuse light like it it places the element in its environment much more convincingly than the old ones which just look like you're drawing like a a 3d rendered thing that has no awareness that it's on a green carpet or something and that that little bit plus a little bit of extra ambient fake game derived bounce lighting uh, I forget what the branding they put on this, their reality composer or whatever. Like this, they have frameworks for this. It's, it's, you know, established game tech, uh, but using it in AR really gives a big boost to AR, uh, make it to make it more convincing and more sort of like, it's the thing that regular people will notice. They're just like, Oh, it's cool. It's like, there's a phone there. Uh, but it's a big step up. And I think that's what you're seeing is like, I didn't realize AR was as good. It's that it's the magic of slightly better lighting. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Mac Weldon, Squarespace, and Fracture, and we will see you next week. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin. Cause it was accidental. accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental. John didn't do any research. Marco and Casey wouldn't let him. Cause it was accidental. accidental. Oh, it was accidental. You can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter, you can follow them At C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S So that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M-E-N-T Marco Arment, S-I-R-A-N
have an after show because this ran damn long oh my god this was so long <laughs> mm, yep. a lot of stuff to talk about i feel like we haven't had a real long one in a real long time though so yeah, i give sorry. us a pass that makes it okay we could trim it a little bit well, we'll, well you can <laughs> tight and plus we had the saint jude thing it all went over by the way uh good job everyone in saint jude we crossed 60k nice uh, what are we up to all now right. we are up to 61 231 good well job done live people yeah. well, that's awesome. we'll just assume it was all you and not other people <laughs> yeah fair point fair point but still well done live people um, you make make us proud yep and and non-live people let's kick their butts <laughs> yeah, let's, kick let's live people's butts let's really like blow the blow this yeah. out because live people are are great but they are few yeah there's there's a heck of a lot more non-live people than there are live people this 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 was in my rective show notes for the episode I just recorded, and I forgot to mention it, so I'll mention it here. Uh, actually, you touched on it uh, at the beginning, right? So we have our own URL, stjude.org slash ATP. Everyone has their own URL on Relay. It's like stjude.org slash name of the show or abbreviation for the show, right? Uh, and those are all the URLs we're giving. But I haven't heard anyone discuss, and I started thinking, like, does this mean someone is tracking, like, how much money comes from each show? Is Is this... Is this a competition? What do you now. win if you are the if you send the most money to the thing? Like like what is it even like there there it hasn't been gamified, but yet we look at the URLs and we know there must be tracking for it. So I feel like there's this competitive element that is unspoken, but I'm I'm speaking it now. Saying uh, <laughs> if someone could be tracking this, someone should be tracking this, and that means it's a game that we can win. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, listeners, let me let me tell you. For them, for to make up the difference right now, to make to just, for, just push them over the goal right now, it would you know I I told you earlier, listeners, that I want you to really consider giving at least a hundred dollars. Do you know how many how many of you need to give a hundred dollars to push them over the limit? Zero point one percent of you. <laughs> That's all it will take. <laughs> so as long as more than zero point one percent of all of you give them at least a hundred dollars. They're, they're going to hit their goal. They're going to blow past their goal. So let's. That should be a minimum bar. Like that's the least we can do. We can do even better than that. 